You're listening to Kaiju Vision Radio. All right, here we are at G-Fest. We're conducting yet another interview. This one is its kind of related, but it's a little bit different. Uh, we're here with... Daniel DeManna. All right, and tell us what, you're, uh, what you've been up to. Well, um, aside from not sleeping for the last couple of days and running around like a crazy person at G-Fest, I am um, here promoting my writing project, the Godzilla Novelization Project, which is a uh, massive, very, very massive uh, writing project on my part, an endeavor to novelize all of the Japanese Godzilla films and share them free with with the fans, with Godzilla fans far and wide and anybody who would like to read them. Uh, so when you say you're doing the Japanese films, you're not doing any of the American films? So I, no no yeah. G98, no G24, uh, Now, I will, I will confess, I would love to do those. I would love to do those. But the, the good news is those have been done for me. There are already novelizations. You can go on Amazon. You can buy 98. You can buy 2014 and all the sequels that will inevitably come out. Godzilla 2 next year, Godzilla vs. Kong. Somebody's doing those. My, and so you can go to the store and buy those. You can't go to the store and buy Godzilla vs. Destroya or All Monsters Attack. You can't do that. And even in Japan, you can't always get things like that. So there was a void that I thought should be filled. So I'm filling it as best I can. And uh, where do you hail from? I hail from uh, Little Sylvania, Ohio, near Toledo. Um, I've lived there pretty much all my life. I was in Blissfield, uh, Michigan, very briefly for a while. But I'm back in Sylvania now, and it's about, it's about four and a pinch hours away from here. And it's a, it's, a, it's a nice little place. I love it a lot. Yeah, you're not all that too far not away. Not too far at all, no. Us really either. Yeah. Um, so obviously this is uh, this is a big undertaking for you. Ooh, ooh, yes. And uh, so what are your previous writing credits and experiences and background? Well, um, my only real writing quote unquote claim to fame is um, I don't claim to fame was back in 2016. I had the uh, I had the the honor really of going to Japan. In seeing Shin Godzilla on opening day, and I saw it again the next day, and I was actually, you know, I was one of the first gaijin to see it, and I did a um, a write up on the film for G Fan, and it ended up, and I couldn't, I got the top of my head, I cannot remember which issue it was in. It was in one of the late 2016 ones, and it's the one where it's him on the cover, and it says, you know, more interview, more interview, more reviews. And uh, I got a really long write-up in there. And I didn't necessarily want to review the film because everybody and their brother was reviewing the film. So I wrote a little bit about what I thought of it. And just the experience of being in Japan to see the 12-year hiatus of the Japanese version of the character come back and to see the celebrations, seeing the red carpet um, opening and being, you know, 10, 12 feet away from Hideaki Anno's weirdness. Uh, which, you know, it's it was incredibly surreal to see Japan celebrating this the character and to see the promotions. And I got to visit some of the filming locations. I drove underneath the tunnel uh, that he that gets cr- uh, the the aqua line that gets crushed in the middle. And so I um, I did a write up on the experience, and I was really really happy with that. Um, I've also done a little bit of. Um, at, like writing uh, newswise for uh, SciFi.com, um, which has been really really fun. I haven't done that in a while, but uh, it's one of those things where anybody can really post in in editorial. So it's not really like, hey, you're awesome, you should do this. But I had a lot of fun reporting on things, and um, I've done some some reviews that have showed up on the KaijuCast in the past. But really, in terms of stuff that's appeared for other people to see. That's about it. Most of the rest of it's still in development. So this is your first fiction project. This is my first my first fiction project that I'm actively and I have personal things that I'm doing that are that I could get published and not get sued for. But um, this is yes, this is the this is hopefully the beginning of something else, something really really cool. Yeah. So I read on your website uh, you had this very touching story mm-hmm. about how this huge undertaking actually got started. Can can you share that with our listeners, please? Absolutely. I'd love to. Um, 
Well, obviously, I've been a Godzilla fan since, uh, you know, mastering potty training. It's pretty much been a, an indelible part of my life. It, it's, it's, it's a part of my, like, like gigantus, you know, part of my organic makeup. And, um, you know, it's, it's something, it's, it's in my, it's in my cells. I, I love it to death. And, um, I, I have, I also have a great passion for, for reading. I'm a voracious reader. I read all the time. I, I have sadly haven't sat down and read as much as I should in the last couple of years, but I love to read. I've got piles of books and I have the, the same problem. Yes. <laughs> Re- reading is the problem you want to have though. That's a good problem to have. And I, um, I, you know, I decided at one point or another that I really, really wanted to try to combine my love of, um, you know, monsters and, and science fiction and things like that with my own love of reading and maybe try to do a little bit of creative writing and um, just kind of building worlds. And um, one of the earliest things that I did that actually kind of, I'm not going to say it took off, it was a school project, was a, um, a, a project that I did for an astronomy class way back in high school where I was assigned to basically construct an entire planet, planet's worth of organisms with very plausible, you know, uh, origins and food chains and all this stuff. And nobody took the class because they didn't want to do this project. There was like, oh, it's too crazy. And I was like, well, actually, back in fourth grade, I invented an entire planet full of aliens. So, and, <laughs> and, and I did. So I took all that, I dusted that stuff off and I basically created a, you know, an ecosystem and I basically almost wrote a story around it. And um, I, I got an A plus on that project. And it made me, in that project, thinking about it really made me want to try to turn it into a story, which I was really, really happy about. So I started to tinker with a little bit. And ultimately, my love of books and all that stuff brought me back again to Godzilla, which I really started to research in high school, the historical elements of everything, you know, the people who are actually on screen, what their names were, the people behind the scenes, you know, it was around that time that I first learned who, you know, names like Koichi Kawakita and Eiji Tsuburaya and uh, Haruo Nakajima. And I started to learn, you know, I was like, okay, so that's that guy, that's that guy. And it just stuck in my brain. And this was at the same time where if somebody asked me to you know, do this math problem for the 10th time in a row, I would be like, eh, give me a minute. But if they told me, you know, the exact order every Godzilla film came out from 54 to 04, I'd be like, okay, strap in, I can do that. But um, basically, in I had this, this kind of, you know, moment where I thought to myself, you know, there need to be Godzilla novels, you know? And this, you know, I was like 15, I was a child. And so I didn't really know what I was getting into, but I had this burst of excitement where I was like, I'm going to experiment and see with it and see what I can do with it. And so in the, basically like, you know, in the margins of the notebooks, you know what I mean? I just scrawled out two, I think I finished two prologues, uh, Space Godzilla and King Ghidorah, because they were on my mind for some reason from the Heisei movies, Heisei series. And I, I was actually kind of impressed with how they turned. I was 15 years old. I'd never written anything like that before. And eventually, being a 15-year-old, uh, it was just too big a thing. So, you know, the excitement kind of died off a little bit, and I stuck it on a shelf, and I was like, well, I should probably study. <laughs> you know, I should probably do that. And, You're um, in school, yeah. I was in yeah. school, yeah. That's and important. I get, yeah, of course. And I, was, I wasn't slacking off or anything like that, but I certainly was trying to balance it a little bit. And it just kind of got shelved, and uh, I went on to college, and um, I have a I have a bachelor's in fine arts um, from a, a little local school where I live. And um, during that time, and I, I don't want to speak too ill of of everybody there because I did learn a lot of stuff. But the the oddly enough, for it being an art school or an art uh, department, it was a little rep- it was a little repressive. If you didn't do things the way they wanted exactly, then you got failed. 
And I wanted to incorporate my own love of, you know, certain things into, you know, into the artwork I was doing. And it just felt very creatively restrictive without getting, going down that rabbit hole. It just felt very, very creatively restrictive. And I didn't have a lot of time between work and school to do my own projects. And so when I graduated, I, I decided I was going to start trying to focus on some things. And over the years, uh, this Godzilla novelization thing kept popping up in the back of my head. And I kept thinking to myself, is this even feasible? Like, and if it were, what could I, how could I use it as an, you know, as a, as a creative tool and a, you know, kind of a healing thing for myself after college and also use it as a way to maybe expand on elements of the films that maybe weren't fleshed out. One of my, I love film novelizations and I love, um, one of my favorites is the 1933, um, D. Los W. Lovelace novelization of the original King Kong. Yeah. which is in the public domain now. And that's the reason a lot of Kong projects are popping up now is because they're using that book as the basis. And you can always tell because there's there's little things. It's like, well, that character is different. It's called The Wanderer instead of The Venture, things like that. But I loved that book. And there are deleted scenes in there, like the spider pit sequence yeah. that um, didn't end up in the movie. So if you read the book, it's almost like you get a more complete picture of what the original plan was. And of course, the movie, 1933 movie, is beautiful and wonderful, and I wouldn't change it for the world. But if somebody said, hey, here's the spider pit footage, you know, I'd, I'd <laughs> stick it back in there. You know, I, mean, I, it's think, just, I think everybody, everybody would. Yeah. Absolutely. Everybody uh-huh. would. I, I, fans just are dying to see it. And, you know, it probably doesn't exist anymore, tragically. But those kind of things are preserved through writing. And the characters in Kong are wonderful, but you get into their heads a little bit more in the novel. And that's one of the things I really, really love about comic books and novels is that, you know, that idea of getting into the character's head and maybe seeing a different perspective. Because when you watch it, you can see a facial expression. You can see something like that. And you can think to yourself, okay, I I think I know what this person's thinking or how they're feeling right now, but there's nothing quite like hearing it actually, you know? And then I thought to myself, like, well, I'm just a, you know, I'm a kid from Ohio. Who am I to put words into the into the minds of, uh, you know, characters like uh, Sakai from Mothra versus Godzilla? Who am I to tell you what Ichiro is thinking in All Monsters Attack? Like, who, who am I to do that? Is that even, like, you know, is it disrespectful? Is there, like, where do I get, you know, when does it become, like, too much? And I tossed it back and forth in my mind a lot. And eventually, um... What really inspired me to do it actually was my my brother. My brother is um, a, and he'll he'll never admit it. He's a great great writer himself. Um, he does. He actually writes video game and uh, film reviews. He has a website called rantreviews.net. He is a wonderful writer. Again, he'd never tell you himself. But he's also, and this is the thing that really stuck out to me. My brother, and I love him to death, is a very, very critical person. And if he has an opinion on something, his mouth will not shut, but in a good way. Um, And, you know, if he has a problem with it or something that I've done or something like that, or if he's trying to critique me, he won't sugarcoat his opinions on it. He'll say, change that, change that. And I don't have a problem with that. I encourage that because it makes me better. So Aaron, my brother, kept over the years, over a course of 10 years, mentioning those Godzilla novels you were writing in high school. And he kept saying, dude, those were damn good. Those were really, really, really good. And I was like, they were little things I wrote in school. I was like, no, they were good. And again, he'll tell you when it's when it's not good. And he just and he kept telling me, you need to do more of that. You need to do more of that. And I'm like, well, if I want to do be actually actually a writer, I can't publish these things. And he said, it doesn't matter, just do it. So when my brother started his website, and I basically took his kind words. And, uh, the, the, you know, the, the fact that he took the plunge and he started his, you know, his, his uh, writing empire. <laughs> and um, I thought to myself, you know, I can, I think I can do this too. 
I'd like to try it. And I had, I had wonderful encouragement from family and friends and, um, this, this love of the character and, uh, the feeling that I understand the character and I understand the people that, that made it and a desire to learn more and the ability to admit to myself that I don't know everything and I want to learn more. And so I was like, darn it, I'm going to do it. I bit the bullet. I started the, I started the writing process on, um, the first chapter of the original Gojira so that when I launched the site, I would have some content and I launched the site and I put the chapter up and it's, that was in February of this year about, so it's July. I'm not going to do the math, but it's been a few months. Five months. Five, thank you. I'm a writer. I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it's just been, it's been going nicely from there. So I, I owe a lot of like the, me getting over the initial trepidation of wanting to actually like saying, yes, I'm going to do this insane, 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 giant thing to basically the, the wonderful people in my life who've been saying to my, saying to me, just do it, just do it, just jump in and do it. What's the worst that could happen aside from sucking. And it's funny back in that age, Mm -hmm. you said it was about 15, 15, 16. That's when things like that really take seed in your brain. Yes. And then, and then if it's good enough, it is, it keeps coming back in your head. Mm hmm. And, yeah. and you can't let it go. And then you're like, well, wait a minute. How can, how will this actually be feasible? Exactly. And then you, how, wanna, how do and I then you start this? forming a path of how to actually exactly. accomplish it. Exactly. Going back, uh, who are some of your like literary influences? Oh man. Um, I know you said, I know you're a huge reader. I'm a but, huge uh, reader. I love, um, I, you know, anything with Bradbury's name on it, I'll sit oh, and read oh, anything. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> anything, um, uh, the, in your panel earlier today, Har- Harlan Ellison came up and I mean, you can't go wrong with Harlan Ellison. Um, I'm a Lovecraft guy. I, um, goodness, uh, there's just there's so many. I grew up reading, um, I mean, obviously Harry Potter, love the Harry Potter books. Mm-hmm. Uh, JK Rowling is, is awesome. And, um, Man, and a lot of my favorite storytellers are, I love, you know, good writers. I'm a huge Dean, I love Dean Koontz because oh, I love I, a lot of things about Dean Koontz. I love, I love thrillers and things like that and the mystery. I love the way he builds up the characters. But one of the things I really love, and this is, this is something that's really, really influenced me, is that he writes, at least in my mind, very, very cinematically. When I read books, I, I, ten, I you know, I, when everybody reads books, they can see, they try to see it in their head. Yeah. I see things very, very vividly when I, when I read to the point where sometimes I, and I think a lot of people do this as well as they, they, they cast their characters with familiar faces if you don't have a picture to go off of, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, like, okay, like there's a face from my life somewhere. Yeah, actor, yeah. Yeah. Somewhere. That's an actually actor. something I do with, uh, with my own fiction. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. pick out actors and I, I keep the pictures the, on my computer so mm-hmm. I can all reference them real quick. I'm like, yeah. Oh, that's what you look like. I love <laughs> that. I, um... About a million years ago, when I was a little kid, I loved reading Catherine Lasky's um, Gahul books, the the Owls. I don't know if you guys ever read those, but no. they were they were no. like for they're like for middle schoolers. And I, when I was a kid, I read them, and it's a great story about basically like owl warriors, and the, they were anthropomorphized. Mm. They weren't like physically anthropomorphized, but they had a culture, and they talked, and they wrote. And um, there was a character in that in one of those books. He was like this grizzled old piratey guy. And every time I read the book, I heard Barbosa, Jeffrey Rush's <laughs> Barbosa voice. And then the and, to, and then and this is the best part in two thousand nine. 11, I believe they made the movie. Guess who they cast as that character? They got they got him to play it. So wow. I'm watching the movie and Irvin, you know, you know, he's doing this Barbosa voice, and I'm just thinking, oh my god, they got into my head, <laughs> and they did it. So I definitely do that. Yeah. And so the, making the graduation from basically, uh, you know, hearing the stories to writing a story that already exists with a face and a voice in the Godzilla films is a, kind of a natural jump from there, I think. 
So besides reading the scripts and watching the movies, which I, I love mm-hmm. subtitles, I turn the subtitles on for nearly every single thing that I watch. Yeah. Because uh, I love reading the script as I'm going along. Oh, yeah. Uh, but besides those two things, how are you researching for the project? Oh, I'm doing... Um there's, there's a couple of other things. Definitely, like, the, the search for the scripts is interesting. Um, I'm still trying to track down a couple of those things and then making sure that they're they're accurate. And, um, again, subtitles, that's the thing, because you can't always trust the subtitles, mm-hmm. which is... The dreaded dub The titles. dreaded dun-dun-dun yeah. t- freaking dub titles, man. They're the bane of anyone who's trying to, like, understand the films, truly, truly understand the film's existence. You know, and some of them are close enough, but with something like what I'm doing here, I'm aiming for as accurate as I can get. And so, and then you've got something like the the Sony GMK DVD and Blu-ray, where it's just inexcusable in, in Tokyo SOS. And it's just, you know, it's hard to sit down and watch and watch these things and, and know how inaccurate it is and how so much of the... Um, you know the the subtle the subtlety, especially in GMK, uh, Shushuke Kaneko's uh, ambition with that film, and um, we had a discussion about this the other night where we were talking about the scene with the Chinese man being translated and how the dub titles changed it into yeah. you know something very very not discovering at all yeah. very what Kaneko intended. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it changes that entire scene, and actually, and it it changes the entire like an entire chunk chunk of the movie if you really think about it, because instead of that weird moment of dark comedy. You get this great moment of national cooperation, and it's not really like cooperation, cooperation, but it's encouragement, and it's it's a sign, it's a good, it's good progress for you know. Yeah, it's like a, considering the history of the two countries yeah, we're talking about person here, person to person level. Yeah, it's yeah. a per, and that's really Very what's real. yeah, and th- that reality of it is is really beautiful, and that's what's gonna ch- you know that's what'll ch- that what'll change the world. And I think that's what Kaneko was trying to say, but no one who goes and you know buys the movie, a more casual fan that goes and buys the movie on DVD or Blu-ray is gonna know that no, they're just gonna. You be like, well, that was weird. You're gonna die, like, <laughs> like no. And you know, it, it's funny, but it's it's I, you know, it's one. Of, it's like I have the same problem with Godzilla 1985, and we talked about this as well. The and that was more deliberate. Oh and, yes, you know, like, like it's understatement to end all understatements. But um, you know, GMK may have just been lazy. It could have been intentional. Maybe there was something going know. on. Who knows? Who knows? But either way, it exists as it does. And that being the case, I cannot use the subtitles for my research for that film. Won't I? Won't do it. Uh, same with. I mean, Tokyo SOS is straight dub titled. I can't. I can't put that disc in as research. So I have to go and I have to try to find other ways to to figure out what they were saying. Um, right now, I have a friend of a friend who I'm going to be getting in contact with here soon. Who is fluent in Japanese writing, reading, and speaking, and she's going to help me with some of the translations, hopefully. Hopefully that goes through. Um, but in addition to analyzing the scripts, I'm also analyzing and like watching the movies very, very closely. I also have, I'm compiling uh, shot lists so that I don't have to watch them all the time, and I can look and say, here's a transition to this, here's a transition to that, so wow. that I can try to translate it into um, a shift in perspective in the story and uh, maybe where to put a break in or maybe where to put a chapter in. Um, and I'm also doing um, a lot of historical research, and I'm, I'm proud to say, not kissing up at all, that your podcast is very, very, <laughs> very, very helpful in that. And um, and I've done a lot of research on, I mean it, I've done a lot of research on this stuff over the last 10 years. I've got mounds of books. I've got you know all this crazy, crazy stuff. And I was, uh, it's funny, about a couple months ago, I was at a used bookstore with my girlfriend. And we passed, we were in the history section, and um, we were like, okay, well, I'm blah, 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 some interesting stuff there, some inter- interesting stuff there. And then she turned around and she's like, Dan, where are you? She's way ahead of me. And I'm staring at the, uh, you know, World War II, um, 
you know, a bomb section, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's just like, it's a little, I feel morbidly awkward being this interested in reading the testimony of someone who, you know, lived through something that awful and horrific, but you got to go there. And, um, like for Godzilla, and I'll talk a little bit about this later. And, um, cause I think, I think there's a moment where it'll come up is, uh, Getting into the headspace of these films is also very, very important because some of the research I do is is uh, entirely mental. And by that, I mean I have to be kind of in the world of that film because to me, it's like the script is important. The visuals are important. The characters, like all that stuff is very important. And one of the most important things to me is being able to kind of put myself into that world, into that universe almost. Yeah, and just kind of, in there. kind of existing within the, the same space as the characters and looking and seeing the things they would have seen. And then how would I describe it? You know what I mean? And then I think to myself, well, when I'm looking at the aftermath of a typhoon, am I going to describe it the same way Sakai does? Am I going to, you know, or am I going to grab a camera like Junko? Am I going to be the politician who's like, now nah, get it cleaned up. It's fine. I got the pumps. I'm going to put like a thousand more pumps up. It's fine. We're going to hit the deadline. You know, how do I look at the tragedy? And then Gojira as well. And again, there's, you know, there's that idea of being on the entire opposite end of the planet where these very, very culturally relevant political things took place. And, you know, on a certain level, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not going to know what it was like to live in 1950s Japan with the fear that the, the, the memories of this horrific thing that happened nine years earlier, 1954 and having the fear of the tests happening right off my shore. And the fact that I can't eat the fish, you know, like I'm, I can empathize. I, I think that's another strength that I have. And I, I'm not tooting my own horn, but I, 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 I'm kind of empathetic to a fault sometimes. <laughs> and I, I empathize with like my family and friends and people and all that stuff. But I have a lot of empathy to fictional characters when I'm in that, when my head's in that space and I'm in that world. And I think that's an important part too. But again, like I'm not going to, there's always going to be that separation, time period, uh, time distance, physical distance, cultural difference. There's always going to be that, that, that gap. And the research that I'm doing and, you know, and just reading up on the history, um, the history is really, really important. The economics are important. The politics is important. Uh, being in the headspace of the common man at that time is important. So reading like, you know, journals of people that, you know, may have been around at that time and trying to find books like that for research is really, really important. The goal is to try to get that distance between 21st century nerd and, uh, you know, 1950s A-bomb survivor or just someone living in that time, like one of the, one of the, like a kid that may have grown up and, you know, maybe their father died in the war or something like that, or, you know, or maybe even in 1960s Japan and being, you know, watching the economic miracle take place and watching the country just explode and seeing it happen, seeing the, the 1964 Olympics and all that, that way that changed the country. Yeah. Uh, sort of. Yeah. Uh, it, it sort of reset it did, it, the country yes, in a way. Absolutely. Say, okay, yeah. now yeah. we're finally back. Yeah. Uh, and, one of my yeah. best friends, uh, he, his f uh, grandfather was one of the doctors really? that the United States sent to Hiroshima to help oh after the war gosh. to help take care of people. And That's unbelievable. Just, and, and I, you can only imagine what, oh, what, what he just, saw. Yeah. And, and you, yeah. Try, you want to try to put yourself into mm -hmm. his head and then yeah. imagine in his words, how to, how to, how, how do to you, put that together. How do you do that? And again, yeah. some of the films require more of that than others, like Gojira. And again, I'll talk, uh, this will come up again later. Being, having my head in the world of that film for, for a long time was just, and I've been there before, but like actually getting into it and writing it, it was a very depressing place to be. Yeah. It was a very, very depressing place to be. It's a, such a dark film, entertaining, of course, but just, just so, just thick and deep. 
and actually, and I, I read um, one of the things I, I did a lot before I started the chapter, the first chapter, was I read testimonials of the Daigo Fukuryu Maru passengers and the family members of uh, Kobayashi, the radio man who passed uh-huh. uh, from poison, who's the first victim. Yeah. And um, I and I read about the, and I actually learned a couple of new things. I'd read a lot about it before, but I learned a lot of interesting things I didn't know before. But like the ash coming down and how they caught it on their tongues like snowflakes. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. They that. caught it on their that. tongues like snowflakes because they didn't uh. know. They threw it at each other like snowballs. They rolled it up. And then, of course, hours later, they were heaving over the end of the boat. And it's a, it's a miracle that they, you know, all of them did live to the shore. And, of course, one of them did sadly pass away, but um, not too long after that. But it's just a miracle. Like, like, it's so amazing hearing those stories because you can, like, you can't find the Daigo Fukuryo Maru incident in a textbook in American schools anyway. I mean, I, I've tried. It just, it just it, it's a footnote. It ought not be because it's very, very significant. But uh, to Godzilla fans, it's certainly not insignificant it's you know which is one of the great things about the series is that it gives a great perspective into the culture and the you know in the, the history of it it's a great ex, you know i don't want to say the word excuse but it kind of is in a good way to learn about it yeah each each one of those movies as we well illustrate in mm-hmm. our podcast is, oh, yes. it's a snapshot of yes Japan that's a good word at it's that a, moment yeah, yeah at that a, moment it's a window you yeah know? And, and which is yeah. why it's very interesting to go through them chronologically and mm-hmm. just see how things change i mean you go you look at 54, and then you just you jump ahead two movies. Yes, <laughs> two movies. Now, mind you, there's a, a seven a seven eight year gap. Yeah, there. yeah, where they experiment. Yeah, it's a big time and, jump. Yeah, but you just jump ahead two movies, and we've gone from dark, depressing mm-hmm. allegory to a straight up satirical, satirical comedy. comedy. Yeah. I mean, and a great one at that. But <laughs> it's like that that leap is incredible. And of course, you know, if you've watched, you know. H Man through Mothra, you know that that seven or eight year seven year gap in the middle there, um, inc- including fifty five H Man, not H Man, um, half human, half H Man as well. But like going through that cycle of the experiment, the experimentation cycle is what I like to call it, where they were kind of playing with the formula, and they were like, okay, well we'll do this, and then we'll try Alien Invasion, but we'll put a monster in. We'll try Alien Invasion without the monster. We'll uh, you know we'll do this, we'll do that, and then ultimately arriving at the the brilliance of Mothra. And um, the the revelation of Shinichi Sekizawa, which completely transformed the rest of that deck that decade into yeah. the seventy, the entire genre from the then on out. The man who changed the, the man who changed it, yeah, and kept yeah. changing the formulas. Yeah, and we were on. we were uh, we were talking about that yesterday, Nate and I, and um, I I, coin, I I may have accidentally coined the phrase "Get your Sekizawa on," uh-huh. which uh, I, I should probably be a T-shirt at some point. Yeah, really. <laughs> if you make that. You're uh, like put that on the back of your novelization Godzilla novelization yeah. project T-shirt. I will buy the snot Absolutely. out of it. Absolutely. Well, I will buy it and I will wear the snot out of it. Oh yeah, I think I, that could that could be a hit. That could, I have to jot that one down. But yeah, it's to me it's all to, to wind that question up. It's about that distance between me and you know time period and culture and just trying to make that distance as, as small, small as, as I can and I'm never gonna you know I'm holding my hands out for the you know great listening I'm holding my hands out <laughs> I'm you know I'll never make my hands meet completely but if I can get as close as I possibly can as a writer as a creative person as a, a fan you know then I think it'll make better books it'll make better reading and my number one goal in all of this um, and this will again this will probably come up again is honoring the people who made these films and the intention yes. with which they made them, which takes empathy. Yes, yes. So I, I and again, again, not tooting my own horn, but I, I, it is a strength that I, I, 
like to think is helping make these novels readable yeah, to yeah. other human beings. <laughs> so how long do you think it will take in order to finish this project? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, there's a lot of factors that play into something like that. Individual books might take less or more time to do. Um, I'm also, I mean, I'm, I have a job. I work, I work third shift right now at a place to keep a modest roof over my head. So I got to work on that. And then, if, you know, there's extenuating circumstances that no one might know about. And then there's all, the, there's the research that goes into it. There's, uh, sometimes acquiring new things and, um, you know, waiting to have enough, uh, enough dough to actually be able to get those things. So, um, each novel will probably take a, a different amount of time to do. The, the The entire novelization project, I'm, I'm, I'm no fool, will take years and years and years. Mm-hmm. This is not something I'm going to start in February and begin in January of next year. You Which know? really shows how much dedication you have. Yeah, you're, this is not something I'm just going to throw out there. Yeah, yeah. you're in it yeah. for the long haul. Mm-hmm. I am yeah. in it for the long haul. And it's. Uh, in, I think one of the main reasons I'm able to do this is um, it, it requires thinking very hard about it, but it also requires not thinking hard about it at all. And by that, I mean, if I think too hard about what I have committed to do, then I'm going to crumble under the pressure of it. I'm going to be like, well, this is going to be years and years and years and years. It's going to require a lot of money. It's going to require a lot of time. It's going to require writing and rewriting and doing all this. And if I stop and think about that too hard, then you're going to freeze yourself. I'm going to freeze. No, legitimate. I will freeze and I will look at it and I'll be like, I can't do it. And I, I'll, I'll just be like, nah, it was, a, it was nice while it lasted. I got a, th- four chapters out and <laughs> for one of the books. It's fine. I, <laughs> yeah, I'll just stop yeah. it. Everybody can enjoy that. But if, as long as I keep focused on the, the empathy, as you said, the, pa- the passion that I have for wanting to make this as good as I can, doing the research and above all, enjoying the process because there's not been a, it's a lot of work. There's not been a single part of it I haven't liked. I haven't loved. And and one of the things that intrigues me, you know, talking about how long you think it's going to take is you're going about this actually a little bit differently than than I would have expected or what I would have done. You're not starting with Godzilla 54, Mm -hmm. finishing that book, going on to raids again or something like that, going chronological like we did with the podcast. Yes. You're doing, you're jumping around and doing it piecemeal. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll be like, I'm going to write a chapter in Godzilla 54 and then next week I'm going to do... Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, yes. you know, a chapter of that, and mm-hmm. then I'll do Megaguirus, and then you know, you're just you're going all over the place. Oh yes, I, I, I'm curious why you chose to do it. That well, there's way. A, there's a couple of the literally like literally two very good, at least in my brain, reasons for doing that, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's something I, I want to discuss. Because to me, looking at the website and looking at the way I operate, even to me, it looks weird. You know, and I'm just like, I'm gonna write this one, and then I'm gonna write this one, I'm gonna write this one. And there's two reasons for that. One of which is um, very early on, and that won't last for a long time because one of my goals right now is to create that content for the site, good content, you know, content that has taken time, but I'm trying to create um, varied content for the site because if somebody might not want the heaviness of Gojira, they might want to sit down and read All Monsters Attack. They might be really nostalgic for one of the films or another. So I'm kind of jumping around and um, giving a little bit of a f- different flavor of different things you can expect the project to tackle because, of course, the, all the Godzilla films are very different tonally, so the writing should be too. So if I can show that I can write serious heavy and then I can jump to Megalon and just go nuts, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and I can, you know, you know, I love Megalon and one of the, the key aspects of this project, I'm not going to lie, is 
the ability to look at all these films and it, it, kind of in a the similar way that you guys do and take them seriously and look at them seriously, even the goofiest, doofiest ones. <laughs> but we all love the goofiest, doofiest ones anyway. The and serious it's amazing ones, what you can find. It's amazing how <laughs> the goofy, doofy ones have the how sometimes have you know this incredible depth to them. Yesterday we discussed Gigan and. Um, I, you know, some, I didn't know some of those things and my mind was blown and, uh, even, you know, Megalon's got stuff in it. And a lot of that to me is about the, you know, there's some obviously political and economic stuff, but the, a lot of that is very fascinating to me about the, the Japanese film industry at the time and how it was suffering terribly. But, um, proving long story short, basically part one is I can, I'm basically creating varied content so that there's more than just one thing for people to read. And I'm also kind of proving that I can do goofy, I can do serious, I can do hard sci-fi, I can do fantasy, I can do uh, the fairy tale. You know, I can do something like that. I can do anything like that. And uh, I'm not 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 so much to everybody else, but to me. I'm. It's more of an experimentation. I'm just like, I wonder if I can jump from this to this because there's a Godzilla for all seasons, as I like to say, because there's the hard yes, sci-fi, absolutely. there's the horror, there's, there's, there's a the, Godzilla for everyone. There's a Godzilla for everyone. There's a Godzilla for every era. There's a Godzilla for every genre. There's a Godzilla for, and, and it's just going to keep going. I mean, we got a we got a cartoon plant Godzilla right now. Like, try telling try telling that to Sekizawa. He wouldn't have believed. <laughs> Tell it to Honda. You know, it's yeah. like, and it's, and, but it all works and it's all somehow equally as valid. Allegorical Dark Godzilla, Superhero Godzilla, uh, Force of Nature Godzilla, you know, Avenging Spirit Godzilla, you know, should probably be Biollante Godzilla, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's all, it's all different. And you've gotten a crazy Hideaki Anno Godzilla. You know, it's all like, you know, you keep going and going and going, but it's all, each is as valid as the other. And so you have to approach it from that angle as well. So writing Megalon, you gotta you gotta attack it like you attack the original Godzilla, which sounds so weird when you say it because they're two entirely <laughs> different things. And then part two of that is a little bit more personal. Why I have it so varied like that, it's um, it actually aids in my writing process a lot. Um, and here's and thereby hangeth the tale. So um, when I first when I first started, I did start with Gojira, and I got two chapters out of the gate. And I have par- chapter three. I haven't touched it in a long time. I have chapter three partially written; has not been posted yet. Um, but for about two or three weeks, I was, as I said before, in the headspace of that film. I was on the boat. I was, I mean, and I, like I said before, I, I read the Daigo Fukuryomaru Lucky Dragon guy's testimonies before I read chapter one. So that, and I even like the, the measurements of the, the, um, the, I don't, was it the Bingo Maru? The, the, that's the second boat. Um, whatever that first boat, Eiko Maru in Gojira. Yeah. Um, I, the measurements that I put for the, in the number of crew members that the boat could hold in the chapter, that's the, exactly from the Lucky Dragon. I just I basically just took those and I put them in there because the reference was obvious in the film. So I thought, why not make it more specific? And if you catch it, then they'll be like, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. But it was such a depressing place to be because I was I was legitimately like I was up late like reading these testimonials and I was like staring at the subtitles and I was jumping back and forth between all these things, and my brain was just starting to get like really really sad, <laughs> and I was just like I'm gonna lose my mind. I have to get up and take a break from this. I, I need a breather. And so instead of doing what normal humans do when they use the words take a breather, I instead flipped to another Microsoft Word document and I started to take notes on another 
another movie just so that I could kind of see, okay, well, this is a little bit different. I'll try this. Long story short, about an hour and a half later, I had the prologue to All Monsters Attack, Godzilla's Revenge, done. <laughs> Completely done on the website. And uh, I really wanted to post it on uh, on the website with the uh, Emperor Palpatine, a surprise to be sure, but to welcome one meme. Because it's exactly what it was. I had no idea that was going to happen. I was just like, I got to get away from Godzilla for a little bit because... I was too, I was so like messed up, but I didn't feel like I was writing it very well, which is why I've rewritten chapter three a few times. And I find that that has repeated as I've gone on. If I stick my head too deep into the the world of one particular story for too long, I start to get like, it's, it's very Tunnel hard. Tunnel vision? To, yes. That's a good way to describe it. It's kind of hard to describe. Tunnel vision works, um, but it's like narrative tunnel fiction. Uh-huh. It's, um, it's very, very unusual. And as I do that, I start feeling... And as it's happening, my writing start to suffer. And I've gone back into a couple of those chapters, which have not been posted for other books. And I've reread them and I'm like, nope, that something was going on here. And at that point, I'm like, okay, I need to step away and then I'll tackle this one instead. So the variation on the site, again, it serves the purpose of providing variety on the site and showing that I can do different genres, but it's also helping me a lot with the creative process. Because if I, like, honestly, if I sat and stared at Gojira, for you know any longer and i posted chapter three chapter three would have not been up to the standards i wanted it to be so i felt i should switch to something else and of course godzilla's revenge is the exact opposite you know (laughs) so that and i can't believe that's the one i picked but i'm sure it's no coincidence that it is very very i mean and then that one i haven't touched for a while either because that one again talk to more casual fans they're going to be like Oh, it's just, it's about a little kid. It's not, why is it that hard? And then you'd have no idea. <laughs> that <laughs> the, one's actually that one really is tough. so deep. And that one, and yeah, it's very, very tough. So I have part of, and again, I have the next couple of chapters outlined and partially written for those, but I don't, I'm still researching the era and I'm still researching a couple of other things. And there's a, um, and for the life of me, I can't remember the name of the movie or the director, but there's a, a movie that came out around the same time. That's, um, and I apologize to people who know what I'm talking about and are screaming at their phones or computers right now, but, um, it's a, it's a film that came out around the same time and it's very similar and it's about a little boy, yellow baseball cap, and he, he has very similar fantasies. And, um, so it's not, you know, a Godzilla's revenge is not an isolated incident. This was a thing that was happening. Obviously it was reflecting the culture, but there were other films coming out that were kind of dealing with the exact same thing. And I think maybe watching those films without the sci-fi context might give me a little bit more of an insight into the actual world that the film was in because, you know, I've seen Godzilla's Revenge 9,000 times, <laughs> you know. But, you know, I pick, it's one of those movies where you pick something else up every time you see it, at least for me, that I didn't catch. But if I could think – once I figure out the name of that movie and it's, it's on the tip of my tongue, I need to track that down. I need to watch it and a couple of other ones just to get a – the other side of the story. So it's not the, you know, it's not the kaiju, which will be a little sad. love my kaiju, but you know, a lot of history in that. So I, I need to do that to make the book better. Along those lines, have mm. you seen the movie Tideland? Tideland? No, I have by not. By Terry Gilliam? Oh my no, gosh. No, that one I that haven't is, seen. It involves a girl who goes into imagination land, oh, sort of stuff back and yes. forth and back and forth. And it reminded me Mm-hmm. I'm, I swear Gilliam has seen a lot of Godzilla oh, I'm, stuff. Oh, I, I think he has. I'm has sure he has. Yeah. Uh, but it, it reminded mm-hmm. me a lot of All Monsters Attack. Yeah. The same he, sort of thing, even though Tideland's a very updated version of it yes. with new things going on. But it's still, like, it totally messes around with the idea of is, you know, the, the way that we look at reality. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's funny you say that mm-hmm. 
Because as I was going through the research process for Godzilla's Revenge, I came to an interesting kind of perspective realization that the film is a fairy tale. And, and I thought, because I was watching it, I'm like, gosh, there's there's a little Wizard of Oz in here. There's a little, like, it has that same feeling of same Wizard of Oz, uh, Alice in Wonderland, uh-huh. uh, one of my all-time favorites, uh, Spirited Away. Love that oh, film. Yeah. Wonderful L- film. Wonderful film. Uh, Labyrinth, um, yeah. where you have the child character who's in a you know, a real world setting that is un, you know, is unkind to them and does not foster dreams. And then they go into a world, whether it's in their mind or not, is depending on which film you're talking about, ambiguous. It's in Ichiro's case, it's very depressing because it's definitely his dreams. But maybe Dorothy did go to Oz. Maybe there is a Wonderland. Maybe there is a labyrinth with David Bowie wandering around singing. You know, maybe maybe, you know, like Chihiro goes into the the spirit world, into the bathhouse. And um, they come out, they they see in them, they see reflections of themselves and people in their real lives, mother, father, friend, what a bully, uh, in that <laughs> fantasy world. And then when they're they're shot back out the other end at the end of the story, or periodically, as in the case of uh, destroy, uh, destroy all monsters, all monsters attack. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, they've grown up a little bit and they've learned a little bit about the real world thanks to their fantasy experience. So Godzilla's Revenge doesn't watch, you don't watch it as a fantasy, but it it kind of is one in that sense, mm-hmm. but it's it's a real world one because it takes, in my opinion, it takes place in the real world, yeah. in a world where there where kaiju are film, you know, is, is a film phenomenon. Ichiro is an, a member of the audience to mm-hmm. me. He's the viewer. He's the child that would you know go and buy the monster toy, which is why. And I, I love the moment in the film when um, Ace Amamoto is the inventor and Ami is the toy inventor says uh, he's yeah. he's showing his his uh, kitty computer to Ichiro. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Ichiro says, you know, you should put the monster roars in this because that would be really cool. And he starts going, blah, at, this, at the camera. And Anami uh, um, kind of laughs at it and goes, hmm, I, maybe. And uh, Dave Collat once wrote, and I'm a big fan of his book, uh, Critical History and Filmography of uh, Toho's yes, Godzilla the, Series. That was a big source of information he, yeah, for yes, us. Yes, that, yeah, that is yeah, my yeah. Godzilla Bible. So I, I love that book to death, both versions. And he writes in, this, in that chapter pretty much word for word, any, most Godzilla fans would want to buy that, that toy, that supercomputer toy thing, if it made the monster roars. You know what I mean? So that's a, that's definitely something in the audience for the kids. It's like if they put that toy out, kids would be like, I would totally buy something that made monster roars. So Ichiro is the audience. Mm-hmm. He's us. You know what I mean? And then you go into the fantasy world, and Minira, Minira is Ichiro. You know, he's that character. You know, Ichiro's dad is Godzilla in, in, to a sense. And of course, Gabra is obvious. And, you know, you can draw parallels to um, the other things in there. But it is when you boil it down, it's kind of a fantasy, kind of in the similar vein of the, you know, this, this, the stranger in a strange land going to the fantasy world that, you know, shoots you back out the other end a little bit more mature. Like and, never ending uh, story. Never ending. St- yes. Never ending story is another excellent example of that. And I love movies like that. So I, I started thinking to myself, man. Could I write the story and not tell you to your face, you are reading a fantasy, but just, you know, kind of include little little bits of that right. just to kind of make it read not like Alice in Wonderland specifically, but something in that vein. And of course, at that point, I, I got to chapter, I was through chapter one or two on that one and I haven't posted those yet. There's only a prologue. And I thought, hmm. Maybe I need to go back and like redo a part of that. So I did. So I left that book and I jumped to another one. And um, right now I'm kind of going back and filling in the blanks. I've I, uh, I held a, a poll on Twitter a while ago to ask w- uh, some of my listeners, or listeners, readers, what they uh, 
what the next book should be. And uh, Godzilla against Mechagodzilla from 2002 was the winner. So uh, that's, I think, don't necessarily quote me on this, but I think that's going to be the last one I start for a while. Just so that's that's a nice broad range, I think. I might start one or two more just to get them out there. So I'll have maybe 10 or 11 started on the site. And that will show, because I've got Godzilla, original Godzilla started. I've got um, Megalon started. Gigan started. God's, uh, King Kong versus Godzilla started. And um, Mothra versus Godzilla started. And and then I'll have Mechagodzilla from 2002. And I might throw a Heisei one in there just from a little bit more variety. And it kind of covers the bases. And I've got Trippy Hedera started, which <laughs> don't get, ooh, that don't get me started on the challenge of that one. But Yeah, you've sort of got a lot of different Godzilla channels. That yes. You can yourself yes. Into. If I can do at least one of each to kind of show that I can pull it off, or at least like I have potential to pull it off, you know, I think it'll help. And it and like I said, it helps me to to jump from one to another and then go back with a set of fresh eyes. You know, it's like looking yeah. like because I'm an I'm an I'm an artist too. I'm not the best artist, but I learned very quickly that if you you know, and, you know, because my art classes were sometimes eight hours long. And if you're staring with your face two or three inches away from your drawing for two or three hours, you start to get cross-eyed. You got to look up. You got to focus on something in the distance. You got to stretch. And you got to go do something else for a while and then come back to it. So that's yeah, that's kind of the, what I've applied to this in a way. It seems like you're essentially honing your own skill of yes. self-criticism. Yes. Which yes. is something you have to work on. Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm my own worst critic. I'm very hard on myself when I write. Everybody, all artists, all writers, everybody is, everybody, yeah, and every artist, every writer. you have somebody that you can actually show something to yes. and, and then get the... Mm-hmm. That way you're yeah. able to sort of come up for air. Yes, exactly. And I yeah. have, and again, I mentioned at the beginning, I have a very, very supportive family. I have a brother who, uh, whose support and his kindness just means the world to me. He really, really is one of the big reasons I decided to take the plunge and do this. Uh, I have, you know, my parents, obviously, parents, step-parents. Um, right now, my girlfriend loves to listen to me read them out loud to her, and uh, which Excellent is really cool. Work. Yes. Excellent work. Excellent work. Always read your work out loud. Yes. That was out one la- of the best bits of writing Absolutely. advice I ever got. Yes. And uh, I there's been a, one or two chapters that just for one reason or another, I put up without reading them out loud. I'm just like, okay, I should put this up. And then, of course, I reread them again. There's a typo. Got to go fix that. And I think to myself every single time, why am I not reading these things out loud? And I read them out loud to myself a lot. Um but reading them out loud to another person is always always really helpful to me. And uh, no one else in my family is nearly as insane, insane <laughs> about this stuff as I am, you know, Godzilla stuff. Uh, they they support me wholeheartedly, though, and um, they sit and listen to things that they probably don't. I mean, they care about me. They care about the writing. But, the, you know, they, the, the films aren't their favorite. But they, they – endless support, endless support, endless in good constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. Got to have constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, our next couple of questions are, are somewhat related. Okay. Obviously, there's some crazy stuff that goes on in a lot of these movies. <laughs> and, you know, this, these are films, obviously. They're a visual medium. Yes. Prose is is very different. And you know, this it's the same sort of challenge that anyone, any author who gets the assignment to mm-hmm. adapt a film into a novelization has to face this and figure out how to do it because they're two very different mediums. Yes. So... How would you try to address something like, oh, I don't know, Godzilla and Angerus talking to each other <laughs> in Godzilla versus Gigan or the Oh yes. You know, some of the can you think of an example, Brian? You know, some uh, one of the more unusual things in the films. Oh man. Godzilla versus Hedera from minute well, z- minute good. zero to the end credits. Yeah. <laughs> um, the protest part of uh mm. Hedera. 
where, where the, with the uh, concert and everything. Yes. There's the, the, there's a way that you can put that together in your head, that but you want to be able to get it just right. Yeah, yeah. So you know, so for things like that, you know, uh, how have you done it so far, mm. and how do you think you're gonna you're gonna do it? In the future, when you get to those, yes, good, not a good, great question. Um, and I'm gonna run with Hedera on this because that is a great example. I've started. I'm actually I'm a prologue in four chapters into Hedera. That's the longest one on the site so far. I'm I'm I've gone in and revised it a little bit because I found a couple things I wasn't crazy about, but I'm getting it there. It looks pretty good so far, and I've I've put a lot of work into it, and I couldn't. I mean, I. I, on one level, I couldn't tell you why because, like, on one, like, I love the movie. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, it's, but, but it's it's insane. I mean, I don't have to tell you guys that it's insane. But here's the thing about the 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 insanity of that movie. It's insane for a purpose. It's so like avant garde and artsy that when you see the weird things like the the pulse, like the 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 LSD tripping, it was I think it was tripping on acid or LSD or something like that. And he sees the fish heads, the fish imagery in the movie. The movie uses a lot of fish symbolism. The fish heads, the fish tank, the dead fish in the water. Like, like all that stuff's there. The random black and white sequence from the scene you were just talking about. The weird old guys uh, staring. <laughs> staring. The, uh, the, sequ- the um, you know, even the, the, the dancing skeletons on the screen. Or the political cartoons. Or the, yeah, and also how the child has that connection. The weird to connection. Uh-huh. The, he's very, dreaming him into it. Yeah. It's very, very, like, all of those things, I'm, I mean, a lot of those things, they're, they're very, very ambiguous very ambiguous some of them and some of them are like for such a movie that's uh people have used the word ham-fisted a lot with that one because it basically takes pollution is bad and shoves it down your throat but the imagery of the film can be very very up to interpretation like the old we just talked about the old guys in the woods like i've heard i mean they're, they're, the prevailing theory is that they're village elders or something that live nearby and they're just disapproving of the new generation partying and also lighting a fire on top of a mountain to you know protest a monster that eats carbon dioxide which is in <laughs> yeah. smoke good thinking teenagers <laughs> but, you know and, the, it and, really and then kind of talks yeah. about how the the like the faults of of, yes. the, of the protest yes. movement and, yes. and it's very critical at a time very, very when critical. you really wouldn't expect that. you wouldn't a wouldn't expect it and b the movies this is interesting the movies were being largely made for teenagers and kids at the time so the movie bites the hand that feeds it in a weird way it <laughs> yeah. basically throw it basically like like the scene where Yukio gets slapped in the face with the acid it's like throwing acid in the face of the people in the audience because most adults weren't going to see Godzilla in 1971 teenagers were going you know parents that were dragging their kids along and their kids were probably horrified at that one <laughs> like why is the baby sinking into the slime mommy <laughs> well it's it's a metaphor dear <laughs> I'll explain it later but <laughs> but again Again, like the movie is so thick with that stuff, and here and uh, there's two parts of that. A, it's it's visual because you you know you can't like writing a black and white scene that's about a minute long. How do you approach that? Do you use descriptive terms to imply sepia tones and just like dourness and sadness and depression? You know, like you know what do you do? And then you've got the like the political cartoons uh, with the, him drinking the oil and the, the the face masks that turn into the map. Um, like that's and there's no dialogue there. Like, how do you write that? How do you? And I thought to myself, like, at what point do I stop incorporating these things into a narrative that is readable to humans? Because like <laughs> the movie is like almost beyond a, a human's ability to like rationalize certain parts of it. So like, how am I supposed to write it? And I'm I, I will be p- perfectly honest. Some of that stuff I haven't figured out yet. But one thing I did I'm am experimenting with, and I could always change it later. But it is in chapter three um, of the novel that is up now. 
um, I wrote an entire chapter basically about, um, and it's, it doesn't happen in the movie, but it's, uh, it incorporates things that do because a lot of the movie is radio. You hear the radio on, you hear the TV on a lot. The news is reporting on the latest Hedra attack. And I really liked those things because it made it feel kind of very, very real. Like something was happening and like the photographs on the TV were really, really cool. And I thought, how do I put that in the narrative? Somebody has to be watching it. You know, some, I, I have to have somebody watching the TV. So I have Yano, Professor Yano, waking up in pain after his attack and, you know, going out into the living room because I, I, I've been having a lot of fun actually writing Yano. I get into his head a lot. I don't have him like actually like italicize his thoughts or anything like at least I haven't yet. I might change that. But I've been getting into his headspace and about how petrified the attack has made him about how when he sees the pictures on the television screen at like every time he closes his he can't sleep. Every time he closes his eyes, he sees those red hetero eyes coming towards him. And it's like, he's basically a PTSD. Yeah, post-traumatic stress. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he's horrified, but he has to he has to know what the thing is. And that's why he's so driven to find out. And so he gets up and he's like, I know I shouldn't, and, but I can't sleep. My body's in pain. Every instinct is telling me to sleep, but I can't. I have to watch the TV and find out more. So he sits down and I incorporated that, you know, this these, tanking, these tanker disasters could be the result of the Hedra. And then it cuts to the first political cartoon where he guzzles the purple slime yeah. amidst the sea of dead sharks and fish in the... Um, and the, it goes untranslated in the English version, but the the, um, the characters for the word cheerful over mm-hmm. Hedra's shoulder that dissipate into the smog and obscure the sun, which then cuts to the bright sun and Godzilla walks in. And I thought... I love those political cartoons, but they, you know, they don't, how do I put that in there? So I basically wrote them as political cartoons. Yano looks away from the TV and he, when he looks back up, uh, some time has passed. Um, and that he sees that political, that political cartoon on the television. And he's like, what is this? Okay. And he's like, this is very, very strange. I think I get what they're, where they're going here. But, you know, so I'm, I'm admitting in the story that it's a very strange thing. But I also found a way to put it into the narrative where I'm not just like cutting to now I'm describing this cartoon. You know, how am I supposed to write that this is a cartoon? So I have somebody watching it just like a viewer would. And I, I think it, I think it worked. I, it sounds like it works. I haven't read that part. Yeah, yet. it seems like it worked. I might go in and change a little bit of the verbiage here and there. But and I'm the real test will be getting the other political cartoons creamed in there because they've got the one where Hedera flies in and then flies off. And then you've got the map face that I talked about. So if I can get those incorporated into the narrative in some way, and I said this before, one of my big things is honoring the vision of the directors. And if any of the Godzilla directors can be said to have had a vision, it's Yoshimitsu Bano. Like <laughs> yeah. His, yeah. his vision, and because he wrote the thing, he co-wrote it, um, and obviously directed it. It was his story. That that film is his baby. Every like his like that movie is so him. Just like there's you know like the original Godzilla and a lot of those films are like so Honda. Like you can watch those films and you can say like yeah that's Honda that's Honda that's Honda. Not just directorial stuff but story stuff. Uh, Hedera is so unbelievable. It could have come from only one brain and it was Yoshimitsu Bano. <laughs> uh-huh. And Yoshimitsu Bano like if I'm gonna write the story I gotta know to the best of my ability, of course, like where, where he was going with this stuff and why it was significant, how it's significant and what's up with the old guys in that order. Like, yeah. <laughs> like the old, I, the I, old I, men always come the back. The old men always, they always come back. They always watch you and they're always really creepy. And I've heard theories that they might be like spirits of the dead that are like disapproving of their, the, the, the ancestors that have come back. And I don't know about that, but it's interesting to think about it. Like, you know, and how do I even write that in there? Like, cause I have to address it. And is there a way I can address it that's ambiguous just like the film is? Because I don't feel like, and again, I'm not, do, I'm doing this as an enthusiast and as a fan, but also as somebody who has a lot of respect for the people who, who created these films. Do I have the right as somebody to go in there and tweak it 
you know, and say that's exactly what the guys were doing there when Bono really seemed to be putting them there ambiguously. Like, does that deserve an answer from am I the guy to give that answer? You know, and I, I don't I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, it'd be fun to, for me to answer it. But when there's so much intentional ambiguity from such an artistic director who's trying to make such a big statement, like, I don't feel like I should, I should do that. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like tackling things like that and like some of the weirder aspects of these things is funny. I actually, and this is, this is a good story. I had a friend on Twitter, a reader. Um, he likes to give me ideas for, uh, for future stories. And, um, uh, he hasn't in a while. If you're listening, you need to give me more stories. Uh, you'll know who you you'll know who you are in a second. He gave me a great idea for for guy again that really made me laugh. Where to um because I, we were joking back and forth about trying to figure out a way to write in the fact that uh, Mothra and Rodan show up in that movie via stock footage mistakes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, and it was like how, is true. how are you gonna do Rodan lying stoned on the ground next to Godzilla when he gets up or like Mothra showing up in the corner <laughs> and I just like you know what darn it that's a good question and uh, he's like maybe Godzilla gets bonked on the head and he starts like hallucinating previous allies <laughs> and he was like I know that's a dumb idea and I was like actually <laughs> Pardon me. And I I laughed my butt off. It was like 11 at night and I was in my bed and I was like, mm, that's amazing. So you know what? That might end up in the book just as a joke because at a certain point, and I, I've said it before, but I you have to take, like I said it before, taking these things seriously is paramount. But if you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. And sometimes your tongue has got to be planted firmly in your cheek, which, in, but in a respectful way that still takes it seriously, like balancing the seri- the taking the project seriously and also just having fun with it. Well, well and you know. that's an appropriate film to you know, be tongue in cheek. Yeah, because exa- it's yeah, Sekizawa. Yeah, yeah. It's Sekizawa, and the guy was the master of tongue in cheek. And uh, yeah. even with Gigan, which is a film that he didn't really even want to do, you know what I mean? They kind of roped him into it, and thank God they did because the story is great. The characters are wonderful. I mean, Sekizawa, so of course the characters are wonderful. There's so much charm going it's on. So ch- it's a good word. It's a, Gigan is legitimately one of the most charming ones. And I, I wrote this in my little intro uh, on my, like my the blog post, the update that I do on the main w- website page, where it was like the, the film was actually, for as, as cheap as it was, was kind of, a, kind of a bold experiment in a lot of ways. It's like, well, Hedera didn't, didn't work, according to Tomoyuki Tanaka. It didn't, it didn't do this. It didn't do that. How do we – we don't have any of our A-list – golden age actors anymore. We don't have Eiji Tsuburaya. We don't have, you know, component A, B, C, and we don't have all these things. We have no money. Uh, we don't even have a composer. How are we going to, like, how are we A, going to make a film, and B, we want to bring it back to the the, the heyday, the, the golden classics, age, the, yeah, the yeah. classics, the, 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 the 60s films. We want it to feel like Mothra versus Godzilla. We want it to feel like Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. We want it to feel like Astro Monster. Monster Zero. Monster yeah. Zero. Big time. At, it's, yeah. They have lots of Monster Zero in there. And like, how do we make it feel like that without those players, without the, this and that? And darn it if they didn't pull it off. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they used Ifakube stock music, but mo- a lot of it wasn't even from Godzilla films. Yeah. And the ones that are feel so appropriate. And the characters are great. Sekizawa did wonderful. The, the characters are memorable. They're so memorable. 
And I mean, who doesn't remember Corn Cob Guy? I mean, like <laughs> <laughs> the Japanese hippie. Japanese hippie Corn Cob Man. I mean, who doesn't love Gengo? I mean, as an artist, I love Gengo for a number of reasons. Yeah. He's a he's a goof. He's serious when he needs to be. He's funny when he needs to be. He, he over not overacts, but overreacts. You know, when he's running up the stairs, and then of course you've got Karate kicking Tomoko, who beats the crap out of everybody while the guys are cowering in the corner. Very progressive, and um, she's a little scary, and people are a little nervous around her. And uh, except the, the hippie guy actually. The Hippie guy bugs Gango with a banana. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite moments That's in the, the, best in the part. movie. And he passes out. Tomoko would have swung around and kicked him in the face or somewhere worse. But um, the it, overreacting is like a comic book. Yes, he's, he's, he yes. acts like a comic book character. He does. Play. His facial expressions are comic book esque. What is it that Kubota says? He's. Uh, He's, oh, oh, what was that line? Uh, he is uh, he is cunning, stupid, but at the same time cunning. Stupid, but at the same time cunning. Which is kind of high, kind of in a way how the movie is. Although I don't yeah. think yeah. it's stupid. Oh, I wouldn't. No, I, I, should, I certainly no. wouldn't describe it as a stupid movie by any stretch of the imagination. But it does kind of like you know maybe not that sophisticated, but sneaky. Sneakily awesome, uh-huh. you know. Like it's very like it, it kind of it gets in there and it 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 works somehow. But yeah, it's I amazing love that. what you can do with limited resources with something yeah. like this. It's one yeah. of the best examples for what you can do. Exactly, and, 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 and yeah, limited resources. Exactly, yeah, and then and, and Megalon comes out the next year and maybe isn't the best example of yeah. what you can do with it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I I they love Godzilla tired. versus Megalon. Yeah. They were tired, and I love that movie so much. But again, I, 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 I'm no on fool. On the podcast, <laughs> I described it as a as a glorious train wreck. I mean, it is a glorious. <laughs> I, I like to call it the Mad Lib. Godzilla film. <laughs> I love that. I love that because um, I, I don't even remember when I thought of that, and I love to like throw something like that in there. Megalon is its own entirely different challenge, and again, we talked about this before. The idea that um, on one level you should like the thought would be, oh, right, Megalon, because Megalon's easy and everyone's one dimensional. Like you can't remember, like, the, the characters just kind of move from one hillside back to the house to the other hillside into the truck and and just watch things happen, and they don't really do anything. it's the opposite of easy because now I got to go in and fix it because I'm not going to write. I like, I will not write one dimensional characters like that. I want to find a way to make it without getting too like, you know, and again, I don't mean this in any kind of negative connotation at all. Like fan fan fiction, where I'm basically like inventing things like that. Um, And I, I, again, I don't want to make any, like it sound like I'm making fun of fan fictions because there are fan fiction writers much more talented than me out there. But um, I like to, Again, how far do I go in making up my own stuff to make up for the fact that, you know, screenwriter A or screenwriter B wrote these cardboard cutouts, you know, and um, and again, I like the characters in the movie. Like, there's no Godzilla film on this planet that I don't like. I love them all. I love them all. Genuinely love them all. I love Megalon. Again, I'm no fool. It's ridiculous, but I love it. You can't like if you don't get any pleasure out of Megalon. Like I, I, I don't, I don't know how to help you. But that's a movie's just that movie's just fun. Yeah, I'll, you have no soul. You have no soul. Yeah. Although I will admit, it's going to be hard to get through it and not put a Rexstart Eskimo spy uh, <laughs> <laughs> reference, which I was, I'm seriously considering trying to find a way to do it. <laughs> You're talking about MST3K. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a massive another, fan. Another, uh, Another yeah. great line in there. Uh, a couple of great <laughs> lines in there is a. Uh, oh, uh, you so brought good. this up in the podcast. You know when they when they show that <laughs> that rather goofy looking establishing shot for Seatopia, and the joke was. Houston. Yeah. I Houston. mean, you could put it something in there. Houston. Yeah. It, was like, it was as hot as Houston. It was as hot as Houston. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, Blinding sunlight. T- yeah. Today, Seatopia. Uh, tomorrow, Broadway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, another, another one of my favorite ones was uh, 
as uh, when Godzilla finally shows up and in the they're sp- his, they're speaking for him, he's supposed to be mm-hmm. trash talking. and He says oh, yeah. stuff like, uh, "No, where the monsters are." Tra- oh, as he says, uh, "I came to chew sushi and kick butt." <laughs> I'm all out of sushi. Sushi. Yeah. And then another time, uh, they're taunting. Uh, he has them. The other monsters taunting Godzilla. Yeah. He says, "You know something like." You know, your uh, your mother was a lizard and your father was an A-bomb. I love that part. I love that part. Oh, no, he's got a tree. That's not the Godzilla we know. And then Jet Jaguar looks up. A tree? That's uh, that's just not like you. <laughs> Have you lost it, man? Yeah, you could have so much fun. Say, Godzilla, one. your tail got longer. <laughs> that's not my tail. <laughs> yeah, it's just so much. Ridiculous. What a great! That's one of my favorite. I, I adore that show from top to bottom. I actually I actually have full size Tom uh, Tom Servo and Crow puppets in my collection nice. of stuff. I uh, well, I built the Tom myself. I it's gonna be hard to get through that book and not have. There have voices in my head, but you know, and I can watch it seriously and you know not hear the jokes. But, but it's it's hard to get the, like the the dry the chase sequence and not have you know uh-huh. Rex Rex Dart pops the clutch and tells the goons to eat his dust. You know, yeah. it's gonna be hard. I feel like the, the part where God where Jet Jaguar shows up on Monster Island and starts telling Godzilla to come to the mainland. Oh, there yeah. needs to be some remark in there about playing charades. I would <laughs> love to. Oh, I'd love to because out of all of them, and again, you got to take them seriously on one level, but you got to have fun. And Megalon, like Gigan, those are two perfect movies to get goofy. Yeah. To, to just just let loose and just be like, and now they're doing, you know, this and that, you know. And it's yeah. and now they're now did Ultraman just do the Shuat Ultraman? <laughs> like, what is happening here? That's Jet Jaguar. <laughs> actually, the first time I actually saw that film in really qu- clear quality, I um I caught that. I didn't I didn't caught it before. I hadn't caught it. And I freeze-framed it on that shot and I was like, wait, that's <laughs> Oh, come on, Toho. <laughs> it was as if it wasn't obvious enough. And I, I took a picture of my TV and I text and I texted a couple friends. I'm like, do you ever notice this? Do you ever notice that he's doing the Ultraman pose? And I had a couple people text me back and they're like, oh my God. <laughs> but Megalon is, um, and I'm, I've got the next chat, because right now it's just a prologue. And I actually really liked that prologue. But um, chapter one, I'm still sorting through because I'm basically having to provide characters for the two for um, the two main characters, Goro and Jinkawa, because they didn't really have character in the in the movie. So I've got to go in and be like, okay, how do they know each other? Where? Why is Goro 90 years older than his brother? Like, would how? Yeah, yeah where? Where's mom and dad? Did, did they die in 1954? Like, if so, why is their son nine? <laughs> like, yeah, like, you know, it's like, it, and you gotta have fun with it. But it's just like, now I gotta go. I gotta go clean up after you. Yeah, that's the ultimate <laughs> question in Godzilla: of How to explain what's going on? How do you explain what's going on? And I love that stuff. Like a lot of people will will pick those films apart for plot holes here and plot holes there and um you can argue about what's a plot hole and what's not a plot hole and how to fix it and how what doesn't work what does work i love plot holes because <laughs> i i think so i'm an overthinker when it comes to everything on this planet i think a lot and sometimes it holds me back and you guys know what i mean and um sometimes i'm like oh you know i should have I should have done this. I should have done that. I think I think about thinking about thinking about things, and you know what I mean. So, so sometimes I'm my own worst enemy in that in that regard. But when it comes to like you know goofy plot holes and like lack of you know character development, like how does this person know this person? How is how is there how are there two King Ghidorahs on the bottom of the ocean when it violates the script's uh, time travel rules? I love thinking about stuff like that because in my mind there's an answer. But it's got to find it, even though it's like it's 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 laziness, and you know, like somebody didn't write that as well as they could have. I get, you know, obviously I'm no fool. I get that, but I love watching it and thinking, well, it happened for a reason. I just got to figure it out, yeah. you know, which is something I really really love doing. Yeah. So uh, 
you mentioned a little bit about some of the challenges of trying to do these adaptations. Mm-hmm. Which of these 30-plus movies oh boy. <laughs> do you think is going to be the most challenging to adapt? Is it is it Hedera or is it another movie? Well, um, Hedera is going to be really, really difficult, but uh, it's it's not Hedera. And the only reason it's, it's, that it, it's clear that it's not is because I actually started it. And I'm too then honest. I, I'm too scared to touch the one that is at the top of my list, and that is Shin Godzilla. Yes. Yeah. Shin Godzilla, and and for it, no other like many many reasons, but number one on my list, and that's the reason that a lot of these they're going as slowly as they are, and some of them I haven't touched yet. Number one goal always respect, always respect. If I write it without understanding everything that I need to know because the film is so politically, economically, culturally thick. It's, it is, it you know, Shinji Higuchi himself said it. It's a film made by the Japanese for the Japanese. It is one of the most, like, densely, like, intentionally Japanese yeah. of all of the films. It is so, and politi- very heavily, politi- politically so. And I feel like I can't tackle it just because I need, I feel like I don't know everything that I could about the politics of, you know, 2016 Japan. And I know, I know a fair amount. I know about the, you know, like the, um, the 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 more right wing uh you know stuff that's been g- going on in the government and how yeah, that aff- yeah 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 exactly and how it's a really and the antithesis to what GMK was trying to do and about how it involves like you know that one was more so about like remembering and not re- the, the the hit past and not repeating it and um then there's all the different characters in that thing and then there's all the different d- departments that they come from and the different this and that and the other thing and, and all, all the, the ministries and the, all the ministries yeah. and bureaucracy out the wazoo and i on a, you know on a, on a level everybody that gets watches the film gets it they get like what's going on but they don't like i certainly don't understand the history and all that stuff and if i'm going to tackle the film and i'm not just just going to be like and then godzilla came and yaguchi was like okay then i will i will hurt him and it will be fun like you know like you know what i mean like i the film does on you know a the film deserves a lot more than that it deserves attention it deserves to be analyzed you know deeply accurately and then that needs to be the story but i don't i just feel like i don't know enough and i and again um uh, you know, just, I, I owe you guys a lot in, in the research department and I have not finished your Shin Godzilla episode yet, as I, I mentioned uh, before. It's three hours long. Three hours yeah, long. It and it's a podcast. Yes. But from movie. what I have heard, just, you know, oh, so good. You've got so a four phenomenal. hour trip ahead of you. I have a four con, hour trip. So. I'm going to try to knock it out on the way home, actually. Absolutely. Yeah. But I did resolve, honestly, I did resolve to myself that I wouldn't even consider taking notes on it till I finished your episode. Thank you. Yes, and I mean yeah, that truly. I mean um, that truly, because it is like you, just from the little bit that I heard. I didn't. I don't remember how far I got, but and I've I've read all kinds of stuff. I got the art book at home. I've got you know interviews. I, I've met Shinji Higuchi twice actually. Um, he's awesome. He's wonderful. And um, I have a uh, an acquaintance on um, on Twitter who um, did. He was he's in, he's from New York, um, and he went to Japan to work on the film. So he had a lot of set stories and things like that. He didn't work on the script or anything. He worked in, um, I, I don't remember exactly what he did, but he's an awesome, just a, a wonderful gentleman and a great pleasure to, to talk to about um, some of his experiences and hear what he had to say. And so I'm trying to gather as much as I can, but I just, you know, all of that stuff combined is not, you know, is, is really not going to get me there. 
Um, but if I do my research and I use you, your guys's incredibly hard work, um, <laughs> which you get, I, I'm, I will credit you guys obviously for that. Like I'm not gonna. Be, yes, I did all of this myself. <laughs> like no, I'm not a jerk. But no, I, uh, I I owe you guys a lot, and I will owe you more once I actually start writing the darn thing because you guys have assembled. And again, from the little bit I heard, you guys have assembled probably the definitive analysis of the damn thing in America right now, which is just a, a blessing to have for for a number of reasons. A fan perspective and a uh, historical perspective um, and for a research perspective. But yes, the number one movie that is actually legitimately like, you know, giving giving me anxiety is because technically, I mean, I have committed to eventually getting to it is Shin Godzilla, but I'm, that's going to be down the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You talk about headspace. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. Well, that's a lot Trying, of heads. Oh, it's yeah. a lot of headspace. Trying to oh, yeah. put yourself into someone else's mm-hmm. shoes and then... On top of that, trying to think of how they think about patriotism yes. is a challenge. Because, like, Americans, there are so many Americans who are patriotic for such a wide spectrum of reasons yes. and what they think is important, more important than this or that or the other, and their mm-hmm. priorities. Mm-hmm. And it, every, everybody thinks of it differently. Yeah. And then and, transplant that to another country and another culture. Yeah. You know, all the different yeah, perspectives. Yeah, you have to have all this historical background yeah. as much as you yeah. can. And yeah. then you think of where the divides are yeah. across about how Japanese people think of patriotism. Exactly. It's just, it's just so wildly... Uh, Different yes. from country to country, yes. and person to person. It's it's, it's a it's a lot to 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 try to tackle. And uh, you know, hearing myself talk about it, there's that little voice is coming back in the back of my head and saying, "Dude, are you nuts?" You know, but that little voice has got to go away, or else I'm going to psych myself out, and I'm not going to be able to do it. I was going to say, tell him to shut up. Oh, I'm telling. Oh, he's he. I tell him all the time. He's he's sick of it. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I have to know. Speaking as a writer myself. Yes. Yes. How have you grown as a writer? Through all of this, mm, good question. Um, well, it's really, and I've done obviously I've done some some uh, nonfictiony, you know, like some some I did a, the Shen Godzilla write up for G Fan. I've done some reviews. I've done things like that. But um, in terms of like actually approaching the fiction, this has been remark. There's been a lot of growth, a lot, a lot of growth. And I've didn't I've done some things on my own, um, nothing that I've published, of course. And I've started writing some some short stories um, along the lines of the book that you published, Nate. Mm-hmm. Um, very very similar. I've started a couple years ago, and I'm I'm kind of outlining some stories and something that I could actually sell and make money off of. Because again, like you know, obviously the Godzilla novelization project is something that I can't and wouldn't have any intention of making money off of. I obviously <laughs> I obviously uh, don't own the character yet, but. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we can dream. But, um, you know, like those, those things, like that's the, re- like that's another big thing I get asked a lot is like, how is Toho not filled your, le- your mailbox with C and D's? And it's, you know, it's like, it's, I'm basically operating on the same, the fan fiction principle yeah. where I'm not asking money for it. It's online for free. I'm not going to charge money. I do have a Patreon account, but that's for, um, that's for monetary support for acquiring research material and just making the books better. And, um, uh, even for like taking time off of work to write more. Um, and I'm very, very grateful to my to my uh, Patreon. I have three, currently three just wonderful, wonderful Patreon backers. I love them to death. And um, but aside, and that's not like you know I'm not charging them for the books, you know, and I'm not printing them. And God, I wish I could print them. Mm. I wish I could print them, even if I could just like throw them out for free. But yeah. I just I got to be as careful as possible because I have nothing but respect for Toho and their characters and the the work that they've done over you know decades and decades and decades in this movie. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mess with it. As, as best I can, but um, 
uh, back to the back to the writing and just the progression of it. It's it's been very interesting comparing it to the stories that I'm doing myself that I'm coming up with on my own because that's an entirely different ball game um, in one level because you're basically creating the characters and you're building them up and you're bringing them through the story and then you're you're finishing their story you're you're uh, you're you're building them up or you're destroying them or you're carrying them on you're leaving something open you're giving them motivation you're giving them this and that and that's all coming from me. The Godzilla novelization project is is different because somebody already did all the hard work for me. The, somebody already wrote these characters. Somebody already filmed the scene. Somebody already did all this incredibly hard work sometimes as six and a half decades ago. And so it's been more about accurate and enjoyable interpretation and trying to get something that somebody else did and adapt it. It's about, it's about adaptation. So it's been an interesting experience as a writer moving from invention, like actually coming up with the story myself, to adaptation of something that somebody already did. So I've already got the plot lined out for me. I've already got the character progression lined out for me. I've already got the dialogue. So it's been, uh, you know, I I don't want to necessarily say easier, but different on certain levels and then um, uh, harder on others because there's a whole set of challenges that come from adapting something like this that you don't necessarily get when you're trying to write your own original story because you have to adhere to somebody else's vision a little bit. And, uh, you know, you can say like, oh yeah, I got to do it or it's going to tee off the fans and they're going to come after me, but I'm much harder on myself than any fan could be. And I, you know, like I've said many times thus far, like it's all about the respect. And I write everything I write hoping that it's, you know, it, it's respectful to the people who actually put all that work in that, into creating what I'm using as the for the adaptation, and um, also the the other thing that I've really really loved is the different genres which we talked about before because bef- like I I'd written a couple of um, kind of sci-fi things I have a little fantasy novel I'm writing right now I have a short story that's uh, not science fiction at all it's more of like a like a psychological thing which I was I've been really really having fun with and it's um, hopefully I'll get that done one of these days but. The God, as we mentioned before, the Godzilla series is so varied. So it's given me the opportunity to try writing horror. It's given me the opportunity to try writing like the, the kind of a fantasy. It's gotten given me the opportunity to write more action or more more this, more that, more the other thing. All these different genres that I hadn't tried before, which is again one of the reasons that the site is so varied right now with different content is because I wanted to say, can I do this? And if I can. How am I going to progress? Because let's say I tackle, um, you know, the the fantasy aspect of uh, Godzilla, Godzilla's Revenge, All Monsters Attack. How can I then take that and then bring it back to like Mothra, which is very fantasy heavy, yeah. and maybe use the experience of something that's a little lighter in the fantasy, like All Monsters Attack, and then go back and tackle Mothra with a little bit more knowledge on how to do fantasy really, really well and how to write in that world. And then you've got the deeply allegorical historical stuff. And then you've got, you know, all the, all these different things. So it's given me a really, really amazing opportunity. And again, it, it's it's really, really uh, beautiful in a way because watching the Godzilla films exposes you to all these different genres and how to view them and how to watch them and how to, you know, like see them. And then it's doing the same thing in print form where as a writer, I'm getting the opportunity to tackle all these different genres, different perspectives. I have, um, you know, some books where I'm really getting into characters' heads and then in others, I'm stepping back a little bit and I've even toyed with um, maybe writing one or two of them in uh, first person, but I'm not sure which ones those would be. They'd have to be very, very character specific. I almost started doing a 
all monsters attack in first that. person. Yeah. But then you lose things like the bank robbers talking alone and uh, mm-hmm. his dad talking alone and uh, the, uh, how much money is that? Oh, it can fit in a bag this big. Like, Ichiro wasn't there for that. And I love those little scenes. Ichiro's in most of the film, but there are pivotal moments where he's not there. And like I mean, the they're always with his mom. Yes. Yes. Where, where he leaves. And then, mm-hmm. you know, yes. you have to write about what's going through her mm-hmm. head. Yeah, exactly. I'd love to do, I'd love to do that. And, uh, you know, like what Anami might be thinking about this, the, the situation where he has to deal with this little boy who obviously he cares about, but it's just such a sad situation where you've got mom off here and dad off there. And this little boy is letting himself out and feeding himself and going to, you know, he, he, the, the poor kid, his only enjoyment is playing in an abandoned, dangerous factory with machine parts and broken radios. I mean, what, what do other people think about that looking at him? You know what I mean? So I, I would lose that perspective saying, hi, my name's Ichiro and I dream about mm-hmm. monsters a lot, you know, which would be a really cool perspective to tackle. And, um, I do love I do love first person though, which is one of the one of the things I'm most proud of that's on the site right now is um, the Steve Martin report, which is a short story that I wrote um, entirely first person from uh, Raymond Burr's character. I'm re- I'm really really pleased with that, and it was an excuse to do something a little shorter. Um, so, and I could actually say yes, there's something on the website I finished <laughs> because everything else is so long, and it was also a great uh, excuse to just kind of approach the film from uh, a first person perspective in homage to the film, which is, you know, narrated by him. I had a really, a lovely opportunity with that one to experiment writing in first person, which I haven't done in any other books. But not only that, I put myself into the mindset of a 1950s era, you know, reporter and their verbiage and how they would describe something and how their sentence structure might be written and, you know, how it might differ and the different kind of words they'd use and the different way that they'd describe being in another country. And like, how did Raymond Burr feel about being in Japan? you know, a few years after they, you know, we bombed them, you know what I mean? And seeing this crazy thing happen, did the allegory occur to his character? Like, did the significance occur, even though it's watered down in the English cut considerably? Like, maybe he got it because he took that role so seriously. So I had the really, really wonderful opportunity to take this Alcee Ward script from Godzilla King of the Monsters and his narration dialogue that he wrote for Raymond Burr. And we've that into original things that I wrote. I basically filled in the gaps and I changed it all into past tense. And I basically presented it as kind of an in-universe artifact. Like he gets back from his experience and he sits down and he writes this thing and he ships it off to George Lawrence, United World News, Chicago, USA. And, uh, you know, I have a little introduction where he basically says, I, uh, I, uh, reporters wait their entire life, sometimes wait their entire life for the story that will give them more immortality and make them famous. And I so part of me wishes I were as lucky as they were now. So here's my story. Do it. Do with it what you will, signed Steve Martin. And then from there, it's in two parts on the website. And um, I had a joy. It was a joy to write that. It was a joy to write that. I uh, I love his character from that film. And uh, and my my guiding light in that was if I could, couldn't hear Raymond Burr's voice in my head saying the line, I erased it. Um, which was really like I. I I was like, nope, he wouldn't, it doesn't sound like something he'd say. It doesn't sound like, I can't hear his voice in my head say that. So I'd get rid of it. So that was a really, really cool um, angle. And I've taken what I've learned from writing that and I'm starting to apply it to some of the other things I'm doing, Godzilla novelization project-wise and otherwise. Tackling that first-person perspective, uh, past tense, and the era, writing from that that era. So I have uh, 
I certainly didn't come into writing this project as any kind of professional writer. I don't even really still consider myself a professional writer that much, but I uh, to to say that I've I've learned a lot and grown even in the last just couple of months I think is in, in very very accurate. I've I've learned I've learned a lot and I cannot wait to learn more. Really, mm-hmm. I love learning more about this stuff. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up that you don't consider yourself a professional writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was wondering if is that uh, an aspiration that you have to eventually yes, do? Yes, it is. It definitely is. And you know, right now it's um it's something I'm doing when I'm not stuck at work until three in the morning which is something I have to do to keep a roof over my head right now. But um, I, I'm writing when I can. I'm writing this uh, project, and I, obviously I can't, I can't make money off of it, but I'm writing it, for again, for a number of reasons. I love the films. I love all this stuff. I'm doing it, a big chunk of it is writing experience because it's something I can go back in. It's something I can share with people and I can get feedback on, and it's a character people recognize, and they can come in and say, Mm, I don't know about that. And I'll be like, okay, I'll see what I can do. Yeah. Or they can say, that was really, really good. And I'll be like, thank you. That's nice. <laughs> but um, it is, it's a, it's a love, there's lovely, I'm getting some lovely feedback from people. You two have given me some great feedback. Um, I've had family members that give me feedback. And again, I mentioned my brother earlier and the man who will not, cannot sugarcoat his, uh, his opinions mm-hmm. in any way. And if something's not reading right, he'll call me out on it. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that because as a writer, you got to have people that'll listen to you, mm-hmm. um, and you've got to have people that will look you in the eye and say, "I don't know about that one thing," or they'll just look you in the eye and say, "Not nah, sucks, bro. Yeah. You can't put that out there." That was the thing that that really irked me a lot in college was I didn't get a lot of constructive criticism on my work, which was very very ba- people. My professors would say it's bad, but they never told me how to fix it. Yeah, were negative criticism. They were right? negative criticism. Yeah. It was not constructive, not positive at all, and it was not helpful because they didn't say why it sucked. They just said that it sucked. And so they, I was like, well, what can I, I would have to like drag it out of them. Like, what can I do? So I'm really thankful for the people, um, and people on, uh, social media that, and I'm not a big social media person. I had to like force myself (laughs) to like get on Facebook and Twitter. And I actually didn't have my own personal Facebook at all before this project. Like oh, I, wow. I did not have one. You were a latecomer. I am a latecomer. I and uh, I'm I'm a super duper latecomer. I just haven't really had a, a use for it. But I, I have one now only so that I can update this project. And um, right now I've got like the Facebook. I have a I have a nice little following on on Facebook. But Twitter, I've got like 360 people following me. Oh wow! Which is just incredible. And it's only the last couple of months it's just taken off. And I've been engaging with people, and people have been giving me ideas. And I've noticed people getting really really excited. That extra energy that they give me helps me and you know what I mean you're a writer like it makes you want to do better and that helps me grow as a writer that helps me grow as a writer a lot like I consider this a big part of the growth process the creative growth process for me and it's just gonna I hope I dearly hope it will just make better books as they go along and then I can go back and be like that one part of that one thing I wrote a few years ago doesn't isn't quite up to snuff and then I can I can fix it you know what I mean? It's it's I can get on the website and edit it anytime. My I don't really want to have to though. I want to put out the best thing I can. But you know I'm human. Things slip through, and I'll go back in and I'll be like, why are there nine apostrophes? <laughs> like, I must did I fall asleep on the keyboard? Like the other day I did. I found like three apostrophes in the word in his H I S apostrophe S, and there were like two apostrophes and then an extra one after the S. And I was like, how did I not see this? And I'm like, I'm at G-Fest right now. I'm handing people business cards. I got to fix it. It's like two in the morning. I got to fix this. So I, I fixed it. But the, I've been, I had a lot of fun, like feeling myself grow 
as mm-hmm. a writer. It's been really, really cool. It's yeah. been really, really fun. Uh, your statement about you know gaining writing experience, uh, it, uh, I'm reminded of uh, Sean Connery in the movie Finding Forrester. Writers oh, write. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, good old Sean. You're the man now, dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old Sean. Yeah. So we've we've got we just got a few more questions left. There are going to be awesome. some fun ones. All right, bring it on. This is something that we ask a lot of people when we do. We, we, we you're only our second interview, but oh, uh, yeah. we when we meet G fans, mm-hmm. we we often ask them, uh, "What is your actual favorite Godzilla film?" Ooh, that's that's the question. I'm I'm one of those people, and you guys mentioned it on your podcast where I, like my favorite tends to be the one that I'm in the mood for the most. You know, <laughs> like if, if I'm in a dark mood, like pop in Godzilla. If I'm in uh, this mood or that mood, but I yeah, that's I, how I, I function yeah. a lot too. Yeah, yeah, it's like that's how I usually do. I, I'm I'm one of those people that's like, well, it's not you know, necessarily bad. I just wasn't in the mood for it. But as, but I, everybody has their favorites, right? So I, um, I actually bounce back and forth between two, depending on the day you ask me. Um, and for, just as with most people, it's the first ones that they saw. And, uh, I was introduced to Godzilla when I was very, very young. I've got him like five or six or something like that. Yeah. And I actually went, and I've been wanting to see one forever. And I went over to a friend's house and I love that. I, I love this story cause it's like, ah, but I went over to a friend's house and he was like, dude, we're going to watch a Godzilla movie. And I was like, yes, we are. And he had a, and this was like nine, like 2001 or 2000 or something. And he had a well, giant projector in his basement and a big screen. And uh, the movie was Godzilla 2000, which at that point was very, very recent, of course. And um, it was the first time I'd seen, and of course I'd lived through the, the 98 uh, promotional stuff. I didn't have any, any of the <laughs> yeah. toys or anything like that, but I saw the incredible marketing blitz that happened for that. And I was like, who's this Godzilla guy? And, um... I, I have very fuzzy memories. It's possible that parts of that film, the 98 film, might have been the first I saw, but I don't think so because I remember seeing posters and I remember seeing the, the tape that we had at our house, but we hadn't watched it. And I was like, who is this Godzilla guy? I got to know. And something about it was just fascinating. And he puts in Godzilla 2000. And of course, that great opening attack on Nomoto is really just, I, to me, it's a highlight of the series. I just love it. It's like, to me, that moment with the him silhouetted with the fire is quintessential Godzilla in my brain. My jaw hit the floor and dropped right to the center of the world. You know, I was just like plunged through the crust. <laughs> I was in awe. And I, I still, that scene still makes me feel the same way I did when I was a child when I watch it. So, and but the sad thing is I got about two thirds of the way through the movie and then I had to leave. Oh, right when oh, the rock no. started crumbling off the UFO and uh, Shinoda, the UFO flew away again. Da, 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 da. And that <laughs> shot of the helicopter, but that's when we had to turn it off. And I was like, but, 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 but no, <laughs> yes, crap. So I, I left and I was, but my brain, I, I, that was it. I was hooked and my brain was just on fire. And I went to my mom and I was like, it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And she goes, you know, there's like a lot of these, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, do tell and <laughs> creepy Willy Wonka meme. And, um, yeah. and she says, All right, let's go to the, let's go to the library. And so we jumped in the car. And at, at that time, my local library was all, it was, it was books and VHS tapes. They had like three DVDs in a corner that nobody touched because nobody cared. You know? <laughs> and, um, it was like, it was like, like two James Bond movies and maybe like a planet of the apes film. You know what I mean? And I didn't even have a DVD player at the time, so I couldn't have watched them if I wanted to, but they're lined up in the, in the, you know, after the little G card and the alphabetical order were about four or five tapes and they were the scimitar tapes 
Oh, with the that. Cimitar tapes. Of, yeah. um, oh, man. Yes, of, uh, of whatever whatever films they released. And I, she said... I could tell you. Yes. Yeah, because they used to have... Oh, yeah, I, I, I still do. And I, she said, pick one out. I, I got My mom's the best. Um, she came with me this year as well. She's been a, a big, a lot of moral support for me. So it's, this is all her fault. <laughs> she said, pick one out. And I was like, okay, Mother Dearest. So I, I flipped through and... Um, and of course, it was, it was Mothra versus Godzilla. Oh, wonderful! And uh, and I had and I to this day, like my memories are pretty darn clear of that day. And I remember looking; it was the box art that sold me. And of course, it was Godzilla versus the Thing. But the video title from Scimitar was Godzilla versus Mothra. Yeah. And um, I picked it up and I looked at this crazy art of this bug. I was like, "What is happening?" And I flipped it over, and then there are the pictures of the fairies and the egg and Mothra's head and Godzilla, that great Godzilla suit from 1964. And I looked at mom and I said, this is the one. And my brother was, my brother was there with me. He's two and a half years younger than I am. And he was, and of course he was very, very young at the time. Me too, me too. So he picked one out and he's like, this one's got three headed dragon on it. So we brought home Monster Zero and Mothra versus Godzilla as our first two. So Mothra versus Godzilla became the first one I saw all the way through. And it wasn't until years and years later that I discovered that it's like people consider it the definitive sequel, uh, the, uh, the gold finger. As it were, yeah. the one <laughs> where same year even the same year. It's the it's the one where everything clicked. The music yeah. was great. The performances, Sekizawa, Honda, Ifakube, all uh, yeah. Nakajima, all at the top of their game. Super Eyes effects are great. It's so good, and so I was very very lucky to have that be the one that I saw the first way through. So depending on which day you ask me, it's either Godzilla 2000 or Mothra versus Godzilla. But Mothra versus Godzilla is I, I'll go with that one because it just holds such a oh yeah. such a deep yeah. place in my heart for that film. And um, Mothra to this day, I'm not afraid to admit, is my favorite kaiju. It's like I love oh, her. To, wear after. that badge proudly. I I do. I, I am surprised I've, I've, that the amount of uh, the, the, more Mo- recently the amount of hate Mothra seems. It's to very get. disheartening. I, I, I was like, I, I yeah. everyone loved Mothra. I, me well, too. Me too. Yeah. So I and that's that's been one of the the wonderful gateways that I've used to. Um, to actually introduce my girlfriend to some of these films as well, because when she grew up, she uh, she had someone in her life who showed her that exact film. And uh, when she found out I liked Godzilla, that's the one she brought up. She's like, Mothra versus Godzilla. I watched that when I was a kid, and I was like, you did not. <laughs> Guess what we're doing? We're going to have a marathon, uh-huh. So, um, which we still haven't gotten through. We did commit to watching them all together, and there's many she has not seen, but we have... Uh, we actually haven't even watched that one yet, but we need to get on uh, it. We have we need to get on it so she can she can relive that part of her childhood. But yeah, yeah. Mothra, Mothra, she, she calls Mothra my baby. It's amazing how much staying power Mothra has. Oh yes, like, like you cannot unsee it. It's gonna be mm-hmm. in your brain forever. Instant, inst- instantly iconic. Yeah, instantly iconic, and it's something that's so Japanese too. Like who in America yeah. would have assigned that much? you know like depth to a giant bug i mean we, we 50s are have a lot of giant yeah, bugs and none of them the stuff have stuff of pure fantasy yeah mothra's a beautiful perfect. japanese fantasy character that could only have come out of that country and you know and again we've brought up sekizawa i don't know how many times <laughs> but it, it bears repeating that that film is one of his best the best of the genre but it's one of his some of his best work as well absolutely i love i love mothra yeah, so along those lines, who's your favorite screenwriter? I know that might be a little bit difficult to. Yeah, there's there are many, and, and there are many, and they're also varied. Is is my favorite thing about them is, be, and again, there's a Godzilla for all seasons, right? So there's a screenwriter for all these different things, but and I've mentioned him eight thousand times on the podcast, but just for just for the fact that I really really respect him a lot, 
on numerous levels is uh, is Sekizawa, and I love I love them all. I mean, I love I you know all these other all the other wonderful wonderful people that have written these stories and written these scripts. And again, there's not a single one I I don't like. I love them all to death. I truly do. And but but Sekizawa historically is significant, and just in terms of the the amount of talent he brought to the table. And I, I mention this all the time. You will, and I, I, no one needs convincing of this if they've ever seen one of his films. Is that you'll never watch a Sekizawa screen a movie with a Sekizawa screenplay where the character you don't love the characters. Yeah. The characters are all amazing; they're so well defined. And when you pair them with great actors, Akira Takarada, Yuriko Hoshi, like I'm thinking Mothra versus Godzilla right now, Hiroshi Koizumi and um, Kenji Sahara and uh, Yoshifumi Tajima, the great entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> Mr. Kumiyama himself, and of course the the peanuts, the fairies. You gotta love them, the Shobijin. And it's amazing how you feel like you know them. You feel like yeah, it's like and, th- and it's like a two hour movie. Yeah, in Mothra versus Godzilla is amazing, and to this day, like I mentioned before, I watch these films. I put them in. I'm instantly where I was when I first saw them. When Sakai gets out of the car to look at the typhoon, and uh, and then Junko gets out, and you see their faces, you immediately feel like they're your best friends. You know what I mean? Like in the weirdest way, even though you don't know who, what kind of characters they're going to be quite yet, you can get a feeling, but you already, it's like a hug. Like, I, like that, those movies are just like a hug to me. Like Sekizawa feels like, like if I've ever had the, the fortune to meet him, of course he was, it was long gone, uh, long before there was any way I could meet him. Yeah. Uh, I would have given him the biggest bear hug and I, I, I would like to think <laughs> he would have returned it. Because I, I love, I love like him as a person is a fascinating character too. And the fact that he was described as being, um, and I, I cannot remember who said, I want to say Ishiro Honda said this, that Sekizawa was intimately childlike, but yeah. in the best way possible. And yes. that's something I, I, and again, I'm no Shinichi Sekizawa on any level, but I, I'm a giant child. And I think anybody who loves these films Me too. C- can yeah. proud with a, you know, proudly, you know, scream from the rooftop. Yes. My inner child is alive and well. And that's another thing that fuels my writing as well is just this feeling that, uh, uh, whatever Tsuburaya and Sekizawa and Honda were doing to instill that sense of wonder in the viewer works on me. And it worked on me as a child, and it works on me now. And um, I the, that is just really, really special to me. The, to, and especially to meet other people whom have been impacted in that same way, and they can honestly say, yes, my inner child is there, my sense of wonder is intact, and you know, and and again, anybody who who sits down to watch one of these things and can't, you know, it doesn't, you know, can't get into that feeling place. Of, warmth. Um, you feel it, this warmth. It is. It is. From, uh, yeah. yeah. It is warm. It is. It is inviting. It is. It's comforting, and not just because of nostalgia either. No. Because nostalgia obviously plays a huge part in this. But even if I'd never, because I I found a lot of those films, and I'll use Sekizawa as an example, much later on. Because growing up, I watched Mothra versus Godzilla on repeat until the library sold the tape, and I couldn't find it, which stunk. Um, and I watched the same thing with uh, Monster Zero, which was my third Godzilla film. Mm. Uh, second one I saw all the way through. And then after that, I kind of piecemealed them together and found the other ones. And uh, I discovered um, the Heisei films after that. And I watched G- King Ghidorah, Mothra, and um, Mechagodzilla 2 practically on a loop in, in middle sc- in, in mm-hmm. mid- from elementary school up through middle school. And I still love them to death. That f- Just that, that feeling that they give you, even without the nostalgia. Because again, I found... Films like Ghidorah, the Three-Headed Monster, and uh, Sea Monster, much later in my Godzilla-loving and collecting career. I think I first watched uh, Sea Monster in 2007. 
which is relatively relatively recent, actually. It was only like 10, 11 years ago. I didn't grow up with that one. I grew up with Clips of It because Clips of It popped up everywhere and Uh some public domain things everywhere like that. When I was a kid... um, we uh, the uh, Toledo Mud Hens, our local uh, minor league baseball team, mud would, hens? the Mud Hens. <laughs> the less you know, <laughs> the happier well, you will be. And the hockey team is the Wall. The Wall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I went. I, I went so. to one of those, and um, I, I have not gone back. But I, I did used to go to the, the Mud Hens. Relative. I'm not a huge sports person, but. Yeah, it's, it was fun to go basketball, not basketball, um, baseball with my dad every once in a while. And they had a thing they would do where, the, you know, they would do, they would play We Will Rock You, but they would set it to footage on the big screen. And it was King Kong pounding on Skull Island, boom, boom, and then Godzilla clapping. <laughs> and they would just repeat that on loop, boom, boom, clap. And uh, that footage was from Godzilla versus the sea monster when he takes down the last jet and he oh, does this. Yeah. And so I, I, for the longest time as a child, like a little child, I was like, what movie is that from? And then when I watched Sea Monster, I was like, ah, oh, now, now I get it. And, I know, and um, your brain feels good when those, those gaps are filled the, in. The like gaps that. were filled in. You're like, and, oh, yeah, that's from that. Yeah. Finally, oh, it's so satisfying. For the longest time, I couldn't even tell that that was Kong pounding on the door because it was fuzzy and gross, and it, it didn't even look like stop motion. It kind of looked like Mania from the back, actually. I was like, was <laughs> this from that one weird movie with Godzilla's son? And I watched it, and I was like, where's the scene of him pounding on the door? That's from King Kong. I mean, it, and of course, you know, that was a, that was when I was a kid. That was so long ago. But um, yeah, like Sea Monster, I didn't see it all the way through till I was maybe, uh, gosh, I probably would have been like maybe fourteen or fifteen. And even though I hadn't seen it before, it felt like a warm hug. There was no nostalgia playing a part in my enjoyment of that film because I hadn't seen it before. Sekizawa, you know, it, yeah. it was it was it was warm, just like you said. And so it's it's not always nostalgia, which I love. And I nostalgia is huge for me. But at the same time, I just I I love the way he wrote. I loved him as a person, um, and the way that his his experiences really really affected his writing, and the fact that the stories that he wrote, the characters he created have become so much a part of me, really. You know, I, I carry that with me all the time. You know, I, I, I love those characters. I love I love everything about them. I love the stories. So it's, uh, yeah, Sekizawa is my man. Get your Sekizawa on. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag get your Hashtag get your second. Every tweet I make from here on out. <laughs> Hashtag get your Sekizawa on. People who don't know what I'm talking about are th- going to, be very confused and think I'm nuts, but I don't care. <laughs> I think they already do. They probably, oh, they probably so already do. a little do. late yeah. for that. <laughs> I probably already do. I got a lot of, uh, when I first launched the Facebook page, obviously I had a lot of people because I used to tell people like, nah, I don't need a Facebook. And then of course, when people found me, they were like, dude, you got a Facebook. And I'm like, yeah, I did. Here's an invite to like the Godzilla novelization. Project. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and a couple of them did like it back. And uh, a couple of them I haven't heard from since. <laughs> they were like, I knew he was weird, but, what is happening so here? So what you're like, saying is Godzilla has helped you figure out who your real friends are. <laughs> this is this is so true. This is <laughs> you, you a, if you want to if you want to be my friend, if you are not comfortable at G Fest, we can't be friends. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is this is why I go with my family every year for the most part because they're they're comfortable because they've had to live with me their whole li- their whole lives and it's just like yeah he's nuts but we love him anyway yeah, so I, my, like, my sister feels the same way uh, <laughs> I, I have occasionally tried to get her to come with me to a mm-hmm. like a comic con or something and I said I, 
because uh, I told there was a, an actress she I, I knew she would really like. I said, "Are you sure you really want to come with me?" He's like, "I live with you all my life. I can handle this." <laughs> <laughs> I think that that sounds like something my brother would have would have said. But he he was uh, he's come to G Fest almost every year with us, and he he gets a huge kick out of it because he I mean he did grow up with these movies too to some extent. And at a certain point, like so many people sadly do, he veered off and you know into other things, and I just kind of always <clears throat> pardon me, it just kind of always stayed with me. And, you know, it will be with me forever. And he, res- you know, he certainly respects it. But, um, you know, it's just not his thing. You know, everybody's got their thing. But it, I, I still love the fact that he's been such an integral part in me doing this project. I love that. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of people know me as like a film buff. And I'm mm-hmm. into, you know, Hitchcock and, and so many classic films. And just and then I tell them, I'm going to do a podcast about Godzilla. And they're like, yes. wait, they're like, wait, what? What are you, what are you talking and I'm about? Like, no, trust me, really. Yeah, I know what yep. I'm doing. Yep, I know what I'm doing. Yes, <laughs> I have. I've gotten that. I've gotten that a lot because, um, and again, back to my horrible experience in art school. I used to get very passive aggressive, and I would sne- like in like the best way possible, and I would sneak little references to movies I loved into my artwork. And uh, one year, I actually got away with. Um, and remind me if I have a picture of it, I'll have to show you guys sometime. I did an, a palette knife oil painting of Hedera coming out of the water. But I said, it's a sea monster. <laughs> and I was, it's just a monster, it's a fish. It's a fish coming out of the water. And I actually got really interest. like actually I got some good feedback on it for once, but I'd never told anybody what it actually was. And um, except a couple of people. And um, every once in a while I'd put something very, very overt in. Like I was, my one of my very first projects, I was asked to paint a picture that represented me, like a collage of things that were very much like me. Oh. And um, I put, you know, a couple of words in there. I put like some images here and there. I put MST silhouettes at the bottom of the painting, of course. And then I put, and, and in the background was kind of a multicolored Godzilla silhouette, the Godzilla 2000 silhouette from the poster. Oh. And I put that up there and... Um, uh, I, it, was, it was a little embarrassing. People were laughing at me. <laughs> like, oh, come on, you guys. Come on. How old are we here? But um, there's like, wait, why is Godzilla up there? You have no idea, do you? <laughs> well, strap in. You know, well, strap in. So it's it's been it's been interesting. I think a lot of Godzilla fans go through that where they're, they've got people that are like, oh, that's weird. What do you what, why do you like that stuff? And, you know, at a certain point, you can only explain it to them so much before you realize some of them you realize it's like it's he's just not going to get it. You just sort of give up. You just got to give up. I'm going to go try to preach to somebody else now because you're a lost cause. You go, you know, go over there. Bye. We're not friends anymore. <laughs> and no, loving, no, of course I love not. <laughs> foreign films. I really love foreign films. Foreign films are and, awesome. And this is almost sort of just one of the ultimate sort of foreign film experiences just it really of is how yeah wide of mm-hmm. variance there is how unreal so many of them are yes and just how different godzilla movies are from so much of everything there's else. a there's a hugely uh engrossing magnetic appeal just in the foreignness of them from yeah. our perspective because there's nothing really like them. You, you could say, okay, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms and then you've got your Harryhausens and you've got your Roger Cormans and you've got your this and your that and you've even got some of the higher, more higher profile things um, like like what Harryhausen was doing in the 50s and 60s and onwards into the 80s. Yeah, that man was a household name. He was a household name. He's my he's one of yeah. my other in, incredibly, he- incredibly my heroes to me. My mom introduced me to yeah. Harryhausen. I couldn't, oh, 
Oh, yeah. Changed my life. Yeah. Oh, I, I saw Clash of the Titans when I was probably too young to watch Clash of the Titans. With probably me too. Horrifically <laughs> scary Medusa uh -huh. and um, some uh, some occasional breastfeeding moments. But <laughs> but, but um, I, I, I treasure that film. I treasure Harryhausen and his work. His work has really been influential to me. One of my projects, actually, in again, in college, was I did a bust, a 1-1 scale bust of uh, his Medusa. Ooh. And um, again, I never told anybody that it was from anything. I was just like, it's a Greek monster. And, but I had one friend who knew what it was. And she walked up to me and she said, this is amazing. When you finish it, I will hand you 300 bucks. And I went, okay. <laughs> so she has it now. She has this thing. I've, I was really, really proud of it. But Harryhausen's another huge influence on me. Yeah. and Because um, he also wrote his own stories too. He didn't actually write the scripts. But like the, the outlines, the plots of a lot of those films came from him. And then he did the, the storyboarding, and then obviously he did the animation. Yeah. So the man was a through and through storyteller, and it was it was brilliant. And I God, I wish I'd gotten to meet him before he passed away. Yeah, he was yeah. like he was like a, he was he was like a I, like a grandfather figure almost, even though I never got to meet him. I treasure yeah. those films. Yeah, your you the story you told about you know sneaking Godzilla yes. and these other things <laughs> in with art class actually reminded me there was a. I don't know if you're familiar with a, with a sitcom from the 90s called Family Matters. Family Matters. Yeah, I remember an episode very distinctly. I think it was one of, it was one of the daughters in the family yeah, who was yeah. taking an art class. And her, her art teacher mm. asked her something about uh, a sculpture that was uh, done by... Uh, um, I think he actually said Rodan, and he, she made a reference like, "No, no, no this is not. This is not a giant pterodactyl that. or something." I like remember that, that reference, and, I'm, and I, I, remember, I remember seeing it like, "I get that. I got it. I got, I got that. that reference." I don't know how many other people did, isn't but it, I got it. Isn't it like just wonderful when you're watching something mainstream and they'll throw in a Godzilla reference? Simpsons yeah. loves. Doing Simpsons that. loves doing that. <laughs> Simpsons loves doing that. Um, I've caught a couple of. Uh, have you guys ever seen the? Bob's Burgers episode where it's basically Lone Wolf and Cub. No, it's so good. Have you guys seen the Lone Wolf and Cub movies? Unfortunately, I oh I recommend the Criterion. Criterion has a Barnes and Noble sale going on right now, fifty percent <laughs> off. Go get the go get if you like like samurai and crazy, you know. Go watch Lone Wolf and Cub. They're from the seventies from Toho. Um, a couple familiar faces pop up in there if I recall correctly, but um. It's, there's six of them, and they're based on a very, very popular manga, and it's about a uh, the former... I've heard of the manga. Yeah, the, yeah. Form, the former uh, uh, executioner to the shogunate, and he's framed for a crime he didn't commit. He uh, supposedly defaces a shrine, I, I believe. And, he's for, and his wife is killed, and um, he's forced to go on the run, kind of, you know, fugitive style, to clear his name mm -hmm. away from the shogunate. But it's him and his infant son, Daigoro, and um, he adopts the assassin-for-hire moniker of Lone Wolf and Cub. Um, and he travels the country, you know, trying to take out the, the bad guy who framed him and clear his name. But also he's an assassin for hire. So people hire him to to do stuff. And it's a wonderful six movies. Um, and uh, they're, they're completely over the top and insane. Like the baby cart that the infant is in is armed to the teeth with guns and like <laughs> blades he can pull out. And... <laughs> Those films, those films are really, really good. And um, there's an episode of Bob's Burgers called "A Hawk and Chick," where, where, uh, where it's, it's, but, but it's awesome because Bob and Louise they watch Japanese movies together, and it's like a bonding thing for them. And I was like, me and my daughter one day, I hope, and, and they'd be, that'd be great. And um, but basically, Hawk in this in this episode, they find the character, the guy who played Hawk. 
you know, four decades on, he's like, a, you know, he's an old man now, and he comes to the to America to find his daughter, who play who in in the movie played Chick, his his actual real life daughter played his daughter in the movies. And uh, they help them reconcile with a film festival of their old movies, which is basically, it's kind of similar. It's the, the little girl and then the samurai and they, they fight giant monsters. And there's like, <laughs> and there's like a giant, there's like a giant uh, seaweed monster and a jellyfish monster. And so they're, they're definitely throwing in a lot of kaiju references, but it's a great little, it's so in depth. And they even named the actor who played Hawk. Like after um, the two creators, I think they used one guy's first name and one guy's last. I don't remember exactly, but um, they used that. So I, that's a great little reference for that. But I highly, if you like Jap- over the top, insane Japanese samurai and uh, great, great films, watch the Lone Wolf and Cub movies. They're so good. <laughs> but I love hearing references to that stuff pop up in like The Simpsons, like you said, or you know, someone will be wearing a T-shirt or someone will be like, oh, it's Godzilla something. Like it, it's it's cool. I always love yeah, that. It's in the pop culture. So where can people read your work? Okay. You guys, um, if anybody out there is interested in checking out the Godzilla Novelization Project, this this, this isn't this isn't so hard. www.godzillanovelization.wordpress.com. I'm a cheapskate. I have a free WordPress account. <laughs> so it's .wordpress.com. If you type in Google like Godzilla Novelization Project, it should just show up. Um, on the website, you will – there's um, – the, you know, there's a you'll, it'll bring you right to an update page, and you can see all the stuff that I'm working on. If you scroll up and down, there's a uh, a tab for the novels. There's a tab, there's an FAQ on the website that answers if you have any questions. That would be a great place to go, nice. where I talk a little bit about some of the questions you guys asked as well. Some of those questions are there, and after you guys have asked me some of these, I'm going to add a few of those. I might add a few of those questions to them because you guys asked me some really great questions. Um, there's links to um, the timeline, which is another project I've started on the website where I'm uh, basically committed to. Uh, gradually creating a series of Godzilla timelines that catalog the events of the series as as I write the books. So it's like a little side project. So there's a timeline page, and I, I have part of this what I'm calling the Sony timeline done right now, which is the 98 universe and the animated series. And I have the prequel information from the anime movies, which is in the books. I have that all categorized and written out. And um, that's just a little side thing I, I I do when I have some free time. So, but the main the the heart and the soul of the of the website is definitely the novels, and um, so yeah, www.godzillanovelizationproject.wordpress.com, and uh, you can also. I, I swear I don't bite. Leave me comments. Talk to me. Uh, I, I absolutely love talking kaiju and Godzilla with people. It's it's super duper awesome. I can be, uh, you can, you know, follow me, you know, follow on Facebook and Twitter, all that good stuff. I'll get, I, I, I see everything people send me. I always read. I always and make suggestions about novels. Like if you have an idea. Like if, if, if any readers have ideas, I love to hear those things. If you have, if you, if I'm ruining your childhood, let me know, uh, you know, like definitely those, definitely all those things. And, um, uh, shameless Patreon plug. I do have a Patreon account. Um, it's, I, I'm always uncomfortable like asking for monetary support for things like that. But, um, if you go to the Godzilla novelization project website or GNP website for short, uh, and you click the support tab you will find uh, a link to Patreon and you can go on and I don't have a lot of stuff that I can offer right now, but the more backers I get, the more products I could potentially manufacture, the more rewards I could give. Um, I have three wonderful backers right now and um, money donated to it allows me to gather research equipment and write the novels faster and all that good stuff. So that's definitely an option. No pressure, but it's definitely an option. Um, but yeah, like if you if anybody out there listening right now reads it and likes what they've read, 
or, you know, you know, if you don't like what you've read, let me know and I'll try to fix it. But um, if you do like what you've read, the only thing I can ask is share it. Share it with other fans, other friends and family that you think might get a kick out of it. Spread the word and, you know, the more, the more days I can brighten, you know, the more, you know, the more entertainment I can give by letting people know, you know, like reminding them of how much Godzilla means to them, then that's, that's all I can ask, you know, just, and just enjoy it and spread the word. And if I suck, tell me. And if I, you know, if you enjoy it, then, you know, just, just keep reading and keep sharing it. And I, 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 it's all I can ask. And I really appreciate it. I find it really amazing how the fan base is so great with Godzilla and with the kaiju it's true, genre yeah. and how so many people produce so much content and they know that they might not make much back, mm-hmm. if anything at all. Oh, yeah. It's because of their devotion to the subject. Yes. And that's all that's driving them. Exactly. Like, and I, it's, yeah, yeah, it's the it's same. The passion oh, that, yeah, yeah, the passion in this community is just incredible. It really is. This the is one energy of the most, that the people passion, have. Very, very passionate. There's only a couple of fan bases I've ever encountered that have been this passionate. Right. And uh, it's just a joy to, to, to be a part of it in a, in a way and to feel like I'm doing something unique. You know, there's a lot of wonderful writers out there that do original fiction that gets published or, you know, self-published or otherwise and uh, things that show up in magazines and things that show up on other people's personal websites and things like that. But um, no one's tried to, you know, no one's been insane enough. Obviously, I I must be to to say, yeah, I'm going to try doing one Godzilla novelization, let, let alone, God, like three dozen of in more plot because you know by the time I get one of them done there's gonna be like nine more so, <laughs> so like the uniqueness of it I think is really really cool and um the the passion I, I it's the it's the passion of the fans that's gonna help this thing grow it really really is because if I can get people to to check it out and if they like what they they read they they'll share it you know what I mean like at least I hope they will and spread the word and say, hey, you know, this, this guy doesn't completely, he's not completely terrible, you know, but, um, and, you know, and it, it's hopefully, and obviously, as you guys can tell, I'm very passionate about this stuff. And I, I dearly hope that that passion not only comes through, through obviously through me blabbering about it all the time, but just me through the writing, you know, I really hope that reading it lets you know that I'm serious about it and that I, I have fun with it and I take it seriously at the same time and that it's, uh, it's something that I'm devoted to and something that I am passionate about and something that I am committed to, to working on and making as good as I possibly can. Yeah. And it's, it's that uniqueness, that enthusiasm, that mm-hmm. passion was why I wanted you to, I wanted you to come on to the Thank show. you very much. And also because lovely you're, to hear. you're, you're someone who, mm-hmm. who looks at these films the same way that we do. Yes. And that's, that's and one of the things that, yeah. It's great to have like-minded people. It is. That's one of the things that led me to your, there, there are many, many wonderful Godzilla and Kaiju podcasts out there, but I, I, this one really spoke to me because you guys watch the films and appreciate the films the same way I do. That's like you just said. So it's, uh, I'm, 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 I'm glad that I got to come on here and that you guys, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to come on and, uh, you know, do my elevator pitch basically. And yeah. just like talk a little bit about it. And, and did we get, get stuck in the elevator? Yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. We've yeah. Yeah. We've been talking a while. Exa- exactly. That's <laughs> but what it's been wonderful. Absolutely. Every yes, second. Wonderful. wonderful. Thank you so much. That's really humbling to hear. I, I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to do this a lot. I, I cannot thank you enough. Daniel DeMana, thank you so much for coming. And this is, this was wonderful. Uh, Thank you guys very much. Yeah, it was great. We'd like to send a shout out to our patron, Sean Stiff, for pledging at the Kaiju Visionary level. Thank you for your support. We really appreciate it. If you'd like to get a hold of us and send us some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is feedback at kaijuvision.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. 
Our podcast is available on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, Podcast Addict, our YouTube channel, and on our website, kaijuvision.com. Thanks to Audiophiliac for creating our theme and bumper music, www.fiverr.com slash audiophiliac. If you like our podcast, please support us on Patreon. I'm Brian Scherschel, and I edited this podcast. And I'm Nathan Marchand, and I'm the podcast webmaster. Sayonara! 